Hi, this is Keith Mulligan. Thanks for tuning in for part two of Tim Strzelecki's BMX in Our Blood interview. I've done a lot of intros over the years, most of them during my magazine days. Some were really easy, while others were a struggle. When Joe asked me to do one for the second half of Timmy's interview, I was honored, but also got that sinking feeling in my gut. The opposite of what you might think, though. The friends, the ones you know really well, tend to be the toughest to do. There's always so much to pull from. Where do I start? Will the intro do him justice? Will I miss something important, funny, or good? Will I say the wrong thing? And most importantly, will he like it? I know Timmy is critical of himself. That's just one of his defining characteristics. But I'm not going to worry about him being upset about anything I say here because any embarrassing stuff I'm leaving for him to divulge in his conversation with Joe. What I want to get across to those who don't know Timmy like I do is that he is unlike almost any other close friend I've had when it comes to his drive, his motivation, perseverance, and desire to win. Sure, I've known many top BMX racers, jumpers, freestylers, but growing up friends with someone, being teammates, competitors, roommates, test rider and photographer working together, you see more than just a main event hole shot and then putting up the one across the finish line. You see someone riding miles to the trails when everyone else gets dropped off. You see the subtle or sometimes drastic changes in technique, bike setup, and riding style and wonder where it spawned from. You see the extra lap at the trails when it's too dark to see and everyone else is done. You see the blood boil when you mention a competitor's name. And you see the look in his eyes and the person getting psyched up before it's go time. When it comes to Timmy, I've seen all of that and then some. His parents and sisters were incredibly supportive, positive, and his number one fans when it came to racing BMX. But even with that backing, I still don't know where he got that voice inside his head that pushed him to be number one time and time again, and that continues to propel him today in his new cycling and race obsessions. Hungry, determined, funny, skilled, emotional, strong, and badass are a few more defining characteristics that come to mind. I haven't gotten to listen to the interview yet, but I'm sure you've learned of a few more traits that help make up who Timmy is in part one, and probably will learn of even more in part two. Timmy, I love you and miss you, my brother. Can't wait to dive into this one and learn a few new things about you myself. All right, part two, here we go. All right, so now uh, we're back. That lunch was good, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in this, uh, what was it in ginger? Ginger peach. Ginger peach, that's a really good seltzer. Oh, cool. Yeah. Those are my favorite. I have a new one to bring home now. Nice. Uh, so you've got your questions for your hubby here. Yeah. Hit him. Well, don't hit him. Hit him with the questions. <laughs> don't hit him again. Not just kidding. Not again. <laughs> Not again. Yeah, yeah. He's already roughed up. Right. He broke his wrist. You know. The that's neighbor actually, asked me if I hit him. That's actually what really happened. <laughs> I was like, mm, yeah. <laughs> um, the figure four leg lock failed, so she went for the arm bar. Right. 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 All right. Hey, we had Dan we had Danny Billy ask yeah. his questions yep. uh, kind of in person. Okay. And you're right here. Hey, you should ask your own questions. I yeah, think you're right a here. couple are yeah, a couple are out a little cheesy, but uh, we'll see what we'll see how it goes. All right. Um my first one yeah. honey. Okay. Um if you could go on a ride with anyone in the world, dead or alive, who would it be and why? <laughs> That's a tough oh, one. Oh, that is so hard. It is. That is so hard. Like, I don't even know if I can answer that. Any kind of ride. Road, cross, I BMX. Mean, 
today, Danny Bailey rules for, for the guy you want to ride with. <laughs> I have no idea how to answer that question. Does that mean there's that, is that so... many cool people that you've ridden with or well, I don't, are aware there's of? There's just so many people. Whether you know them personally or not. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, do I pick a couple world tour guys? Do I pick a mountain biker? Do I pick Danny Boy? Do I pick BF? Do I pick Keith? Right, do I this? pick... Do, well, like what? One roadie. I mean, international roadie, pro roadie, whatever you want to say. Worst life across doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, a BMXer and a... Uh, BMX is too hard. BMX is too hard? Cross. You're not worried about hurting feelings, are you? No. I probably, if, okay. I, if I could ride BMX with two people, I'd probably choose choose uh, BF and Keith. BF and Keith? Nice. Because we've had some fun sessions before, mm -hmm. like in our Cyclecraft days. Yeah, yeah. Just three dudes in a warehouse in Tennessee before mm -hmm. we headed out to the ABA Grands. That was, a fun st that was a fun time, so that would probably be pretty fun. And we're all older. Mm -hmm. So we could look back on things and laugh, and maybe right. not, not take them so personal. Right. <laughs> so that might be cool. Yeah. Um, and a lot has happened to uh, to us in our lives since we were fully vested in BMX. You know, me. You know, I'm I'm the one that stepped the farthest away from it. But uh, yeah, probably if I had to say that, it would probably be those guys. Um, I'd go on a road ride. We go on rain? Nah. No. I would probably, probably, mm -hmm. if I could go on a road ride with two people, mm -hmm. I would probably choose one from way back and one from current. And one would probably be, I'd probably go with, with Jan Ulrich. Oh, mm -hmm. right. Nice. And Wild Van Art. Nice. Mm-hmm. Who is, Wild For Van sure. Art is uh, a top uh, ex-world champion in cyclocross and he's made the transition to the world tour mm -hmm. but I've always been a huge fan of his wow. his riding as a cyclocross racer and mm -hmm. it really kind of once I found cyclocross and I did a lot of like my own education on proper technique and, and all those things mm -hmm. um, I studied a lot of what he was doing which is a lot of stuff that guys you know, he's he's from Belgium for a lot of the stuff he learned growing up, so I learned a lot of my technique and stuff through that. So I'd probably I would probably choose those two because whenever when as far as road concerned, whenever whenever there was a Tour de France that had Jan Ulrich in it, I always cheered for Jan. I always wanted Jan to beat Lance Armstrong. Mm -hmm. He was just great. For, for whatever reason. I mean the Armstrong story is what mm -hmm. it is and it's cool. Sure. But we all know how that goes. Mm-hmm. And I've always secretly cheered for Jan because I always wanted him to beat him because I always appreciated his I'm going to go for it at all costs style. And yep. that's that's how I kind of ride. Is I'm not going to hold anything back. If I get beat, I get beat. Um, but yeah, I always admired that. Two totally different spectrums. I admire that that guy can sit and grind up a mountain. 5311. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. not that hard. But, but he's not dancing on the pedals, no. as we say. No, he's they're two totally, you know, him, him, really him in contrast to Lance Armstrong are two totally different people. But yeah, yeah. I always no. appreciated his efforts as a, as a, as a professional. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. I guess they covered, yeah, they covered. 
Alright. Where? I don't know anywhere outside yeah. of my current environment, but wherever they would go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> wherever they would go. That works. Wherever they would want to have me. <laughs> you might not like this next one. And if you don't want to answer, I would respect that. But where does what's the real story behind your nickname, Tim Dog? <laughs> I knew that was going to come out at some point. Uh, uh, long story short, it was back. Uh, we were in. Uh, we were back in. I think it was North Carolina. No, I don't know where it was. No. I can picture the track, I just don't know the, I don't know what it was, but anyway, I was, I would think I was riding for Schwinn and I was getting ready for the cruiser main, the pro cruiser main, and no one was, they had all, everyone had come their own ways and, you know, were watching races or mingling or talking with whoever, mm -hmm. and I went to get something out of the back of the Schwinn trailer, and I was thinking about the race, and for some stupid reason, warm it up, Tim Dog came to my, came to my head. Came to my came to my mind and I shouted it, and I looked up and John Paul was standing there and he's looking at me, and this this is how I recall it. But if I if I can give people try to give people a vision, and I thought about this the other day because I had a feeling that this question was going to surface. <laughs> if you're ever familiar with the movie Happy Gilmore, right, the Adam Sandler movie, you ever yeah. see it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's always a point where Adam Sandler, as his character. Mm -hmm. does something completely outlandish, right? Right. And Lee Trevino, who is a professional or ex-professional golfer, mm -hmm. they always pan to a shot of him with a blank stare, and he's just shaking his head. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, right. those of you that are listening, Google it. It's funny. Uh, this is my anticipation of what John Paul was doing when I did it. And he may disagree. I don't know his vantage point, right. but that's at least how I envision it mm -hmm. or how my memory sticks is John yeah. Paul was like, what? <laughs> like in his brain was like, what the hell was that? Right, right. And I guess that's how it stuck. And I get made fun of it uh, to this day. Yeah. And to this day, I've just hanged my head and I'm like, oh God. So John Paul was the Lee Trevino in this story, basically. Yeah. Movie, yeah. Yeah. Like, he might—I don't know—he might not even have been around, but I'm pretty sure he was the one that caught me, yeah. and and I've never lived it down since. Could only be him or, or uh, Tony, right? Because they were the trading off, yeah. running the. Well, rate. we were we were at the national, so like BF mm -hmm. was around, like the whole team was there. Yeah. But at that moment in time, uh -huh. John Paul was the one yeah. that like saw it, and I was like, ah, right. oh, <laughs> never gonna live that one down, and I still haven't. But it's funny. It's funny to think about it now, right? Because it, right. it, it's funny. Makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Go for it. Um. Am I too quiet? Yeah, speak up. I'm sorry. You're good. Okay. This this is the super tease. So, what movie have I made you watch more than once that you ended up liking and that you would watch again? Pitch Perfect. Hands down. I knew he would say that. It's absolutely funny. You gotta give, you gotta give it a chance. Man. I love that movie. You gotta he, give it a chance. He loves it. It's like it's like it's like that song. You buy you buy your album from your your like your favorite group, whatever it is, and you're like, no, I'm not feeling this. This isn't as good as their last album. <laughs> and then you listen to it over and over, mm -hmm. and it starts to grow on you. That's right. pretty much what happened in this case. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's truth. You know, it, I have homework now. Oh, it's good. I haven't watched it. I mean, if you're into, like, 
It's acapella. super cheese, but yeah. you if you're know. into acapella, which I'm completely not, but the movie is funny. Yeah. Uh, and I like to laugh. I'm just, I'm into laughing too. That's why I'm in a while. Laughter is fun. Um, Do you want to hit the last one? Yeah, I'll, I'll get it. This one. This is going to tie in though. Okay. We had some discussion about. About this, okay. Iron Man training, all yeah. that stuff. So go for it. So, what do you think is the key to being married for seventeen years while being so active in a sport that takes so much of your time? I think uh, it's having someone that, first of all, understands you, understands your drive and competitive nature, and is willing to give more than they want to get, if that makes sense. And I think you, as a supporter of me and all the crazy things I've done, have been that person. Your, your ability to give, it seems like it, it gets more every single year, no matter what we're faced with, whether it's sport or our lives together. Um, you've always been a caregiver. You've always been the giving type. And I don't think until recently or probably until I got sober, I understood that. Um, and it was like something I was telling my sister the other day and the conversation I had with her. Like, my whole life has been selfish in the fact that I started racing BMX. I had success with that. My parents saw that I was successful with it, of that. And maybe my sisters got overlooked in whatever they wanted to achieve in their lives. And I took that away from them. And I, that bothers me, you know? And I think all, all of that had, you know, made me to be this, this, Selfish. It's all. It's got to be all about me, or what about me? Uh, personality, and that I'm not necessarily proud of. But it, if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be as successful as I've been and what I've been fortunate enough to achieve. But at the same time, I wouldn't have the current success. Or since 2015, I would not have been as successful without you. And I tell you that every single time. I don't tell you that I win. I tell you that we win because if I can't I can't do this without you I can't get the equipment I need I can't keep the roof over our head I can't get out for the training I need to do and have it be okay I can't do that alone so and she's your biggest cheerleader mm -hmm. I've heard her she knows, in the she, knows yeah. <laughs> she knows how to she knows how to get the best out of me she knows when to shut me up she knows when to encourage me. She knows when to tell me I'm being ridiculous. And she knows when to celebrate. And half the battle in being successful as an athlete is having someone like that in your corner. That's it. I couldn't do half, I couldn't do anything, you know, mm -hmm. without her. I couldn't. That's the right. honest truth, 100%. Are we, can you two hug each other or something now? Uh, it's all good. No, like, my, you I, know, my parents... Do you see how I turned that and I made that about me? <laughs> getting them back. Yeah. No, my, my, I know that, and, and I'm just kidding. That was a really lovely, I, I mean, I use the word lovely because it's coming to mind, just the exchange of 
of a you know stories of, about your partnership. It's well, it's the, huge. Fu- the funny thing huge. is, like, I I go to these races no matter what they are, and she's always with me. She's always with me, always with me for two reasons. Number one, I don't feel comfortable without her there, or, or yeah, if she's not there, I'm not comfortable. And number two, it eases her mind in case something happens, that she's there. And she could be the one immediately to give care. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, if something happens, mm-hmm. she's immediately there. And a lot of my competitors know that. They see that. They say hi to her as much as they say hi to me. Mm-hmm. Because I, she's always there. Mm-hmm. And in cycling... There's not a lot of spouses that support their husbands, or vice versa, husbands that support you know their wives. Sure. Uh, if the shoe's on the other foot, or for whatever that looks like, a lot of spousal or partner support isn't there, and she's always been there. Mm-hmm. And it makes it easier for me to go a little harder, knowing that if something does go wrong, I know she's there. Mm-hmm. That's it. Now, you know, I won. I've I've had a lot of success and I, I won I won the Illinois Crit Championship in twenty seventeen for the Masters. And it was when Darcy took her first trip to Hartford for training for travelers. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So I went into it just kinda like whatever. Right. You know, and the race played out. I did well. I won. I got the state championship. But it was it was like the most emptiest feeling I ever had. Because it's always, for me, it's win or lose, I finish, and I go, and she's there. Mm -hmm. And it's a hug for victory, and it's a hug and defeat. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't there, and I'm still bummed out about that. Mm -hmm. Because it was, like, such a good thing that I I didn't even go there expecting to do that. Like, I didn't even care. It just happened, and I rode well, and things played out that way. But it was like I called her, and it was just like so empty. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't even psyched. Just like most people would be like, yeah. And I know for you people listening that you know have been trying to win something like that, win whatever for you know in your life. I don't take it for granted. I'm proud of the moment, but it was a moment that I wasn't able to celebrate because my support wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm saying. All right. Thank you. That was really, really nice. Jeez, that makes my trip complete. <laughs> we don't really have to finish. We'll throw a couple more in there, but that, that was really nice, Tim. Thank you. Super nice. And explains a lot to me about how passionate you are about it and why I'm so happy to flip through 10 pictures because that's all Instagram will fit for the post I know. of you taking the, taking the pictures of him progressing through the, the yeah. and I'm talking cross but yeah. you know just going further further you usually throw a, vi- a video in there I, mm-hmm. I think too she'll take like 800 pictures in one race oh my god it's amazing so many pictures yeah <laughs> but, but but it's so cool but she's there it's, it's right. fun to me and she you, you know, know as sickening as it is mm-hmm. for her to see that I just watch cycling all the time mm-hmm. no matter what sure uh, what is it now what is it now yeah she finds a way to be interested in it and that's something that I get accused of, is not finding interest in things mm-hmm. that she finds interesting. And I'm totally guilty of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Except it's perfect. 
Because yeah. he liked that. Yeah. But there are... <laughs> Not two you know, and three, though. Only to one. To even have her <laughs> want to show an interest and learn, well, mm-hmm. what is that? What's happening? What's the dynamic here? Right. What part What part of bike is that called? Yeah. What's going on here? How do they do this? And just right. add, to even have the interest to ask those questions, yeah. I couldn't ask for anything more. You get a pretty good crew here. So you could probably break down your bike clean and oh, get you back before the... Before the uh, I need to learn more. Because you usually I told race her, two I classes. I told her now, right? that, we're, now yeah. that we're solo again, she's going to have to learn. she got to be my, my pick crew. I know. Right. Yeah, you don't have the I did have to put his um, tire on the other day. Yeah. That was ba- my first tire. Baby steps. Yeah. Like tire on the rim. Oh, really? I yeah. Those that. beads are tough Oh, sometimes. it was hard. She got it, though. Especially in... She got. I told you. And you then I had to pump it up. And I, I said, was "You like, don't pass oh. the test unless the tire holds there." Right. You don't right. for two yeah. weeks now. It's been holding there. <laughs> Bravo. That was yeah. That's <laughs> pretty. The front, you said? No. Rear. The rear. Rear. Yeah. I told it because it's a trainer tire, so it's the a bead, tire. the bead's extra hard. Yeah. And uh, oh my god. She had to pump it up to like a, almost 120. Was so you had to deal with it, getting the derailleur out of the way, dropping it down. Uh, yeah, I helped her with that because I still the, had, you know, I still have my right hand. I can yeah. help her. With that. Right, right, right. And then you got disc, right? Nope. Disc brake. I don't have a disc on my road bike. Oh no, I, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about cross. No, no, no. Yeah, my road the bike. trainers of yeah. road bike. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. E- either way, you still have a derailleur in the yeah, way. She's, yeah. Yeah. That you have to deal with. Yeah. So, I, I, right, but still, but yeah. you're, you're seeing that Teachable whole moments. Yeah, definitely. part of it. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's fun. All right. You yeah. want to resume with the rest right. of the questions? Sure. I'll let you back sure. in your seat. Thanks, babe. Right. Thanks for the questions. Yeah. Yeah. That was excellent. I knew it was going to be good, but that was, uh, that was like off the charts good. Hopefully, hopefully you can hear it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, sorry. Yep. I, no, I just I get a little quiet. No, yeah, just precaution. You got plenty for, of time. Per, precaution. Yeah. Put it out there. Yeah. That's all. No big deal. It was fine. I just didn't want to miss yeah. it. Want to miss the moment. All right. What's up, buddy? Thank you very, very much for lunch. Yeah, that was, I might take it. Thank you. Thanks, yeah. honey. All right. I want to finish up a, one of the pieces of paper here. Yeah. From Alan. Okay. So we're gonna. We're going to be uh, a little bit all over. Well, we've been all over. We've the been place. all over the place. We always. Well, that's that's the best way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Alan Foster wanted to know favorite bike: Elf, Cyclecraft, Auburn, Schwinn, or SNM. Ooh, that's a good one, because I've had one of each of those that I really, really liked. Elf must have been early on. Elf, I don't even I, remember you elf, elf. I had I had an Elf. I had a double cross, twenty inch, and I had. My cruiser career started on my dad's cruiser that I handed down from that he handed down from me. Mm-hmm. Like my dad got, I was racing BMX. My dad mm-hmm. got an interest in it. He started racing. Then he got his own bike. I still only had a twenty inch. Mm-hmm. He crashed, broke his thumb, and like hung it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took on his cruiser. Mm-hmm. So that was an elf, um, and that's the one I won my first number one plate on national plate on. You must have been like 13, 14. I was 13. Oh my gosh. I was 13, yeah. Wow. That was another, that was another good day. That day was how awesome. Many, how many number ones total for for nationals? Not not world, uh, national number ones. I think it's I'd, nine. I'd be so psyched if I could just count to one on that question. Yeah, there was a year in my amateur career where 15... 15, 16, 17, I won both for the year. That's amazing. 
and Alan had said 14 through 17. He was, I was about the, right. I was 14 the dude. to 17 were your best years. He, he, yeah, he absolutely. Thought, yeah. 100%. I peaked, I peaked at 17. Yeah. Yeah, so in that time there was I well there was, there was uh, I, nine might be a stretch. I think nine was my my state totals. Mm -hmm. um, Thirteen. Not, not far off. Maybe you're including uh, worlds. Fifteen. Thirteen cruiser. Fifteen. Sixteen. Seventeen. Seven. Seven. Yeah. And how many world championships? Four in a row. Four in a row on twenty. Four in a row, yeah. Four in a row, and same, then I got, same bike. and then I got two thirds at Michigan. Well, I remember that because we raced each other. That so was insane. I took out Sprague for you. That was insane. I took. That I was the longest day to, of my yeah. life. We were everybody's how life. Tired you were. I remember talking about this. That was insane. Yeah. Never ever have I raced a sixty fourth. I didn't yeah. even know what it was. Cruiser was insane. I mean, obviously, I believe it was eighteen over at the time. So, oh yeah, so they were both eighteen was, and twenty. Was no, the other was eighteen to twenty-four. I eighteen twenty-four. I yeah. was twenty-four, and you were the eighteen. I was 18. eighteen. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I worked my way around. That track was really awesome for for catching up. Yeah, Waterford. A lot of turns. Yeah, Waterford started out really fast, got really mm -hmm. tight in the first corner, and then yeah. opened up after that. I'll send you the video because you'll laugh. Yeah, and he yeah. tried to he tried to do a. A Tony snack and, and ride alongside the jumps and then ran me in the last yeah, turn. Yeah, yeah, he was. But uh, didn't work. I stayed no. up. Yeah, so that was mm -hmm. you know, Maybe. that was cool too because that was the only world championship my dad ever got to. Oh really? Yeah, my mom was like a chaperone for the early ones, mm -hmm. like Brazil. She went to Spain and France, and then I went yeah. to Norway by myself. But you know, Keith's mom was sure. there, so she was kind of like my second mother. Yeah. Um, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, but that was the only one my dad ever made it to. Yeah. So I wanted to do good for him. Did you and I got I got lucky. Uh, he might have. Said. My dad, you know, either wore a baseball hat or a cowboy hat. Okay. He might have. Mm -hmm. um, so that was cool to at least get on the box and have him see BMX racing on that yeah. kind of a level. And that was a hard, just getting those two thirds. Yeah. yeah. That was. Yeah. That I mean, was I got amazing. I got lucky, but every I think everyone in the, I think everyone in. The 18 and over main crash. Like at one point, everyone hit oh, the ground. Oh my gosh! Yeah, everyone crashed. I Merkel, crashed. Merkel Romero was crashed. Winning. Yeah, Merkel was Merkel. winning. Then he got taken out. They crashed. I almost passed them in the last corner. Yeah. And then I rolled in for third. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I think Pro was crazy Pro too. Pro was insane. Like, Hayden won. Or no, Dan, Thunder Dan won that. Yes. Hayden was winning, yeah. and Thunder Dan gave him a little bit of the business. Yeah. I took it from him. I'd yeah. much, I'd much rather had the master win that. Yeah. I was like, they were Hayden. probably rooming too. But Maybe. anyway, back to Alan's questions. Yeah, yeah, favorite bike. So there's the Elf there. Uh, I think I had, if I had to go out on a limb, there was probably, there was one like army green or like Kelly green anodized sh aluminum Schwinn that I got from from BF because he had gotten a new bike and something was wrong with my current one. Mm -hmm. And he had just gotten off that one. So I got that one from him, and I, for some reason, the way I had it set up and the color scheme I had on it and everything, I thought that bike was pretty damn cool. Yeah. Like the flame ones were, I think, novelty, and everyone's still yeah. cool with those. You know, I think Brian right. still got his. Yeah. Alan, I think, gave his away. Really? Um, wow. But, you know, those were cool, but I think setup-wise, that was probably one of the good ones. And always, like, when you get, 
actually, I did have an Auburn that I was I, I loved a lot. It was a purple front end and a black anodized rear end. Really? Yeah, we were fortunate enough towards the end of that to be able to kind of like mix and match. Like it was, it was a hard, it was a hard pass at first because I always remember when Robbie had one and he had like him and Big E and TC, they had theirs, and I always sweated like when they had the gold rear end. Yeah. Like the blue with the gold for me was like ooh money. Yeah. Like yeah. I I sweated that that color scheme so hard. Oh, I was like that is so good looking. Um, Were you like number fifty six I think on that one? On my on your Auburn when you were on Auburn. Um, because it would have been some ABA then I think. Oh I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know but I had I had. A, it's not important. I'm just envisioning this picture of you on an Auburn. I thought. Anyway. You know what? I think I got it backwards. I think it was purple front, black rear. Okay. Not no, that's black. What you said. Did I say that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it was, I was like, I, I finally yeah. got it and I was like, yes. Yeah. Because I had the bright green with the blue and I had bright green with the polished aluminum. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think Romero, he had like, he had a good one. He had chrome front with a, poly, a high polished uh, rear end. Whoa, yeah. That thing, cool. that thing was cool looking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when we were allowed to start like mixing stuff up, that was pretty cool. That's awesome. Wow. It's better than just that standard green in the front and the chrome in the rear, I think? Yeah, green green up front and uh, polished aluminum in the back was standard issue for the longest yeah. time. Yeah. Wow. That's a whole nother funny story, that team. The Auburn team? Yeah. We were, we were a good group, and we put a lot of pressure on GT, uh -huh. and they didn't like that. No. I think we we either beat them, or they beat they managed to beat us by like a point or two for overall. I think MBL. Yeah. And then the year after that, our program was kiboshed. Oh man. Too much pressure. Wow. GT didn't like. To As lose. I remember it, I don't know yeah. if any of you, uh, my old teammates, want to elaborate on that at some point. But that's how I remember it. Right. It was right. there, and then it wasn't there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Some good people on there too. Yeah. Oh yeah. That would have been the era of. Would it have been TC Todd Corbett? Yeah. In that era. Yeah, it was. Oh, it okay. was my first race for Auburn was at Cole Canyon, the mm -hmm. ABA Fall Nationals. I went to. It anyway, was. Yeah, yeah. It was me. TC. Mm -hmm. Jason Richardson. Uh, Chris Breen. Um, Robbie. Still. Nope. No? Nope. Uh, Mike Rorty. Mm -hmm. Nigel. Montrotha, uh, Chris Park, and Mark Hildebrand. Mark Hildebrand. Yeah. Whoa. He probably lives next. I was in the rabbit here. hole. I was in the rabbit hole the other yeah. day on the USA BMX website. Yeah. Just going through like the pictures. Generations, and I found that national, and I yeah. thumbed through it, and there's like five or six photos of you know Gork wow. taking the team photo of us because it was all new. Like yeah, that team, yeah. you know, grew, expanded and got mm -hmm. more more guys on it. Uh, maybe oh and Jamie Lilly as well. She was on there. Sorry, Jamie. Oh, okay. um, yeah, yeah, she was on the team as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had a, we had a good squad. Mm -hmm. We had a good squad. Nice. Uh, here's a quick one. Who do you text more, your sister or your brother-in-law? So, <laughs> Jen, Jen or uh, the your second oldest? How uh, Jen, sibling? Jen's, Jen's the middle child. Oh, I'm sorry. The oldest. Stephanie. Your, Stephanie's yeah. your, your sister's name? Oldest? She's the oldest. So Jen is asking the question, um, who do you text more, uh, her or Brian? <laughs> well. Depends if you want an answer. The straight answer is I probably text Brian a little more, but I know he's not going to get back to me. 
<laughs> and I don't these days I don't expect him to given you know oh, yeah. his track record and now his professional career right um, so I'm actually over the moon when he does get back even though it's like one or two words I still acknowledge the fact that he received and took the time to respond oh, um, like a normal person would but I know when I I know when I when I text Jen she yeah. she gets back yeah, yeah. you know she's got a busy professional career too so I understand if she doesn't get back immediately but I'm on all fronts I'm guilty of not keeping up my relationship with my family as often as I should mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the things I'm trying to work on uh, as I get older is you know, not not taking my family for granted and and and, and letting time pass by right. you know because my parents are older mm-hmm. um, my sisters are getting older Brian's getting older we're all like yeah we're all drifting apart but there's no reason we have to drift apart you know mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm part of that problem so yeah, it's easy. It's much easier to sometimes to just go not now and hit sure. the reject button than it is to actually pick up and take time to see yeah. how they are. Right. Which in right. reality, taking that five or ten minutes means so much more. And Plus, it starts to hurt your feelings after a while. So <laughs> I apologize, guys. Well, you are. Uh, I think everyone can do a better job that I know I could have. Uh, unfortunately, I hate to say but it, but it's in my defense. I did call Jen the other day, and we talked for two hours. So that makes up for all the times I didn't text recently. Yeah, right. Sorry. That was like a, that's a year's worth right there. I think In some people's circles, that might be yeah. five years. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> no, but, you know. Well, um, I, I certainly don't, I'm not comparing your, your situation, but uh, what, me, what got me to kind of wake up on that was, um, and I'm still far from perfect on it, but, you know, my father passed yes. away, and I, didn't think that was going to happen at that age. She was 75. And uh, and then my little brother died yep. at 31 last year. Sorry, 31, 32. But um, I rerun it in my head all the time. Yeah. All the time. How many times have I not made the time? Yeah. Did I not make the time? Not that I didn't talk to my dad plenty. Less with my little brother because he was out and about with his friend. He was all over the place. He did horse shows around the country. So it's not an excuse. No. Uh, but yeah, that, that hurt. Because the relationship was was good when they passed. I don't have any regrets about what you know our, our situation as, as far as how we got along and yeah. cared about each other. It's the amount of times that I it happens at least a couple times a week where I'll be like, oh, I want to call my dad and tell him about whatever at work. And you don't have that opportunity. Options not there, and I get halfway through the thought before I realize it. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, gosh, you get complacent, it. and you figure they're always going to be there until they're not there. And, and part of it is because you're focused on your family, or your, in your case, your relationship. Without kids, same deal. You're focused on on your unit, your family unit. Uh, but some of it was downright laziness. And yeah, I'm guilty of that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, I, don't, I can't even count how many times a, someone in my family has called and I've just mm-hmm. been like, ah, not now. Yeah. For whatever yeah. selfish reason. Mm-hmm. You know? And yeah. that's, that's no excuse. We'll, we'll strive for that together. Just try to be better, yeah. Yeah, it, and, and hopefully whoever's listening uh, can do the same thing because it's, it's call a cliche, your mom, but life is Call life your mom, short. call your dad. You owe your mom a call when you call your sisters, tell them you love them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I did reject my mom on this call. See, I told you. (laughs) I know. I'm thinking that while you're saying that. I'm like, wait a minute. Sorry, mom. 
But it was important. But I'll call her. I'll call her later. That's what I'm saying. Call when we're done. Yeah. Call when we're done. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> See. Life, man. Life's yeah. A, life is never. Get older never and you have stop. responsibilities. It sucks. Hey, you'll never stop learning. No. The day you stop learning is the day you die. Yeah. I, I'm, and I mean that in the best way. Yeah. Uh, all right. So that's it from Alan. Thanks, Alan, for the questions. Good yeah. stuff. Yeah. He, uh, he's. He brought some good ones. I can't believe these people even listen to it. Like, I'm just like, come on. It's like. I a, can't believe these people even care enough to respond. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are. Essentially, well, kind of family. Well, I met Alan before I met Brian. You did? Yeah. Oh, wow. It was short, but I got on Wheelpower and I went to the Christmas Classic that year, and Alan was the first one I met. And he was on Wheelpower. Yeah. And yeah. I remember he might have just turned pro. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, he might have just turned pro, and Brian was still an amateur. But oh. I remember we, I met Alan, we were walking around, and we went up to that that mezzanine above the starting hill remember yeah, that yeah yeah and and you know brian was out of practice or whatever and he was behind mm-hmm. the gate and alan shouted down to him and uh you know it, we got introduced over the mezzanine at columbus me yeah. and brian and brian and me right and uh we've had a relationship ever since yeah he's a great guy just from what i see and he was always very respectful to me he was nice and i'll never forget you guys coming to my house because those trails were garbage but but they were fun. They were fun garbage. Yeah, I mean, but for the time. Yeah. The time we were in. At the, yeah, it was after, I forget which national, Meriden or Bethel. Tony's run the rig. Yeah. Bogey was with you guys. Yep. That's, he's a guy I wanted to get. I, I ran out of time. I was oh, going to try to get Bogey. Bogey. So we'll send a shout out to Bogey. Uh, but Bogey was there. Brian Allen. Oh, I miss Bogey. Yeah. But yeah, uh, he's around, right? Yeah, he's around. He's, 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 he's doing his thing. He's got, he's, a, he's got a, you know, I, I think almost a teenage son now, and he's yeah. doing his thing with, yeah. with his wife. He's racing his RC cars. I think he still, still works at Volume, which is cool. Oh, I didn't know that. I think he's, I think he still works at Volume. I'm not yeah. sure. Might have to come forward a little. Um, um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah we uh, had Paul Camp may have been there too. Camp. I'm pretty sure he was. Probably. Paul Camp's an actor now. I know. It's awesome. It's amazing. Good for him. I know. Like, that's what I mean. That's what I was saying earlier. Just seeing the path that, you know, earlier yeah. when we started, when we were watching, when we were talking about guys and, and their career choices, that's just, yeah. I mean, hey, he's always had the look. Yeah. He's always had the yeah. physique, so God bless him for using it. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Th- those were those were good times. But yeah. uh, Alan actually held my hand through the whole, my whole first POW house experience. Really? Yeah. How old were you? You must have been. It was after I went out to Coal Canyon for that national. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I stayed at the POW house, mm-hmm. and that was scary. Yeah. I walked in there, and I was like, what the hell is right. this? Right, And how do people live in this situation? Two people you know, per being, room, right? Yeah, you're, three. You're, you're a teenage kid. You live at your home. You know, you live at home with your parents. You got your own room. Everything's, you know, yeah. as it should be as a kid, as you think it is, and then you get out to experience that and I walked in I was like oh my god I think I'm going to get killed here but they're just you know they're just guys living their lifestyle right. and I didn't you know it freaked me out right. at first and I remember spent the night there I think I slept on the couch mm-hmm. um, Alan was up and I got up early because I heard rustling in the kitchen right. and, I, and I got up and I remember him I, I walked over and I'm like hey man what's up and he's like hey I'll make you breakfast if you if you if you help me clean up a little bit. And I was like, "Deal. Let's do it." Yeah. <laughs> and but it was right. a wild experience, but 
the more I was out there and the more I went around the POW house and, mm-hmm. you know, got to know the guys that lived there. And Brian was obviously a resident there. We all know that story. And a lot of other guys, mm-hmm. they were just good dudes. Yeah. And it was just a, a place to go to ride and hang out. Right. I mean, there was always a revolving door of people coming in, mm-hmm. you know. But the coolest thing, and I think one of the coolest memories for me in BMX was I walked into that house one day after I'd, you know, I'd been there for a while and a visitor and things. And I walked into that house one day and my picture made it on the wall. Whoa. Yeah. I walked in and I saw my photo on the wall. Like they had, like, I think right right when you walked through the front door, there was a wall and it was like the wall of fame or I don't know what they called it, but there was a wall and it had all pictures of people. And I remember my photo. I think it was, I think it was the four finger brake lever picture from BMX plus next to Billy Botech. I think that picture was on the wall and I saw that and I was like yes I'm in like <laughs> I made it like this is awesome and like yeah, it was yeah, such yeah. like a cool moment for me right, right just to be around all these all these cool guys that's awesome all right so yeah all right I'm gonna go you know what before I start a couple questions for my Keith Mulligan I'm gonna give you the pin I've been hanging on to for five years now the pin from Betty Mulligan. Yes. She asked me to give this to you. I never would have dreamt this is the way I'd be giving it to you at your awesome. house awesome. outside of Chicago. I'll take that. On a day trip. I love that. I love that. <laughs> but I've been uh, hanging on to that. Mrs. Mulligan, this pin is now in my possession. That's right. Actually, what I'm going to do with my one good hand is. I can help. You want me to? I'm stubborn, Joe. You're determined. I got one good hand. I got you. I'm going to ask Darcy. I know better. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and put this on the hat I'm currently wearing. Oh, beautiful! So thank you, Mrs. Mulligan. Yeah, her and Bruce were there at the. It was at the John Lee Jam. Oh, got stickers too. I was wondering if you're gonna bring those. Well, I was gonna bring his shirt too, but I didn't. Uh, that's alright. I didn't know if you wanted one. Really, to be honest yeah, with you. I'll take one. I've, I've got them. I'll Joe, just, I've been a. I'll mail you one. I've been a supporter of your podcast before you even started doing the podcast. You. you we're the only one I talked to about doing this. Want to know a funny story about that? Yes. I think when you were talking to me about that mm-hmm. and doing that, uh-huh. and I might have told you this, yeah. but I was in my garage at my old place. Mm-hmm. It was late at night. I was getting stuff, you know, by late I mean like 6 or 7 o'clock. Yeah, in Naperville? Naperville, yeah. Naperville? I was getting stuff out of my collection to give to Dave. Right. But the funny thing about it now, yeah, I was hammered. Really? <laughs> yeah. When we talked, oh, I was drunk. Absolutely. I couldn't even tell. Yeah, I was professional at it. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, you're really good at it. Yeah. <laughs> about. Uh, so that's a funny story. Keeping it under control. Wow. Yeah. Hey. Yep. What, what all made sense. But that's probably why I had so much enthusiasm. I was like, "Do it, man! You got it!" Yeah. And then but I don't were, want to do it. Then, yeah. And then you were sober. <laughs> And you guys sobered up the day or two after. And yeah. it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, I don't want to do I it. I said that. I don't remember saying that, Joe. You're lying yeah. to me. I didn't say I wanted to do it. Yeah. I said you should do it. Uh, that was funny. <laughs> that was funny. That, that is funny. So I just um, wanted to share that. that was probably, I've been dying to tell you that. I, and I, I think, jeez, uh, I want to say it took me eight or ten months after that to get the guts up to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought anything. about it. you got to take, you know got to take it in stride and you got to build up your confidence with it it's a whole mm-hmm. new it's a whole new challenge and challenge is is scary by nature mm-hmm. um change is scary right you know i don't have 
I don't, I'm not currently employed and I don't know what the heck I'm going to do, mm-hmm. but I know something's going to come along and right. now is a great time for uh, maybe the change that I need to give myself in my life. Sure. But yeah, I always thought that was funny. Yeah. I thought I told you that. No. Well, now you know. Now I know. Don't think less of me. No. <laughs> not even a chance. All right. So why don't we do... Oh, well, while I'm looking, do you remember what your MBL number was for 20 inch? 94638. 94638? Yep. Oh. For a time, I had to run 638 because they made us run those stupid three digit yeah. numbers for a while. Right. I started in 83. 94638. And it was 63267, but it was 83. You must have started just after that. I started in 82. You did? Yeah. I was six. Huh. I don't know. Connecticut who knows. numbers, Connecticut numbers versus New York numbers. Who Could knows? Could be nine four six three eight. Rhode Island. Well, one four eight one five two. For cruiser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seven nine three four zero. Can't remember yesterday, but I can remember that. <laughs> that's what we're getting yep. at. I think that's what we're both getting yeah, at. Yeah, knocked that my one. head a little too many, a little too much. But that will never leave. I don't care how many times you knock your head, you'll always remember your own oh, yeah. number. Uh, yeah. I just want to do Keith's and then uh, and Brian, uh, Bono, Bono. All right, you've always been one of the most headstrong persons I've ever known. What are some things you tell yourself and or what do the voices you hear in your head say, oh, what the voices in your head say to give you such drive? That's a good one. Uh, I think I'm, I'm driven by the fact that I don't want to fail and I'm, a, I'm afraid of failure, but failure is also a way to learn and I'm, I'm understanding that as I get older. But by nature, I'm, I'm, I'm someone that's easily motivated. Uh, for some reason, I, I, I don't know why that is. I can, I can find motivation for whatever it is I'm doing. Uh, because I have this, this, this perception of, of what I want to achieve. And I, I think that I know that it takes a lot of sacrifice and mental toughness and physical strength to to be able to do it but I've never really I've never really had a problem staying motivated I was always either motivated internally Mm -hmm. um, or just by the people around me Mm -hmm. like we were talking about earlier with staying motivated in the BMX scene at a young age like it was easy to do Mm -hmm. because I was surrounded by people that were into what I was into and they were motivated as well so it was easy to stay motivated Mm -hmm. being away from all of that and having to find my own motivation has been you know has been tough in the past but uh-huh. I've always managed to kind of softly have goals I don't I'm not a person that writes down goals mm-hmm. um, I just have thoughts and I have visions of things that I want to achieve and I stay motivated that way mm-hmm. because those are the kind of things that make me get out of bed mm-hmm. and do what I need to do to be successful, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it's it's pretty easy, right? I, well, for me, actually, it's not easy I, in general, but it's easy. right. I think it's easy for me. It it brings me to something that your uh, uh, that your sister Jen said uh, in our conversation, and it was that. And I'm wondering what what you pulled from each parent. She said your parents are, as most parents are, I know I'm far different than my wife, 
I'm you had a, a perfectionist my mother in one right and then a uh, someone that didn't open up a lot I did. but right yep so what did you I, I guess I'm kind of asking the question that she planted in my head is what did you pull you must have pulled a little bit from both definitely the perfection perfectionists Perfection, think. perfection, and being perfect. I'm talking about in sport, but you, you could take it any direction you but want. That but that just, you know, the, my perspective on that is that that's such a loaded word, and I don't even think I don't even think like does perfection even exist? No, right? You can't be perfect. Nobody's perfect. No. Nothing in this world no, is perfect. Whether you look at it religiously or be, otherwise, you, right? You you can't be perfect, mm -hmm. or any situation can't be perfect. But it can be the best. You can be the best you, sure. And the situation situation can be the best that it could be. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I took a little bit from from each of them. I, I think I don't want to use the word perfection, but I learned a lot of maybe discipline is a better word. Mm -hmm. um, I learned how to be disciplined equally. I think from my parents, uh -huh. um, they were they were disciplinary when they had to as a right. kid growing up um, which I appreciate even to this day uh, I just my dad was always the kind of guy that just got after it uh -huh. I don't think he was very formulative if that's a word or, or like mm -hmm. calculated calculated right in the way he did he just he had something he wanted to do and he just he just went at it mm -hmm. and he just he either he either did it the way he thought it would be right or he figured it out right and I think I got that from him. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm not a planner. My mom, I think, is the planner. My mom is like the yeah, here, yeah. here, 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 here. You yeah. know, I don't have that. And that <laughs> may be part of what Jen's describing. But the drive to the drive to be successful and and achieve, I think, comes uh -huh. probably from my mom. But the doer, I think, you know, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I just. Doesn't sound, doesn't seem like, or doesn't sound like your father would do, and then tell everyone, "Hey, come check out what I've done." No, he would, he would do just it. do it. Right, I he think would just that's, do it. that probably fits. Yeah, because just you're, do not, it. you're not yelling. The work will speak tops. for itself. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And not, that's how I've always been. It's like I don't need mm -hmm. to tell you about what I've done or right. anything. You, you'll find out. Right. And that's how even my professional career was. Like I don't, mm -hmm. I don't need you to tell me that I'm doing a good job number one I have the work ethic number two I know I'm doing a good job because you pay me to do a good job right. and number three I don't need to hear about it because mm -hmm. I know right. I'm doing a good job you could teach a lot of lessons with that well for sure because it, it that could apply easily to the workplace sport it could it applies in every part I'll tell you 100% 100% I don't know like a lot of people have problems identifying with who they are mm -hmm. you know who they aren't things like that I will tell you 100% I am a work harder not smarter person mm -hmm. I am a work harder not smarter person yeah I will work my fingers to the bone mm -hmm. because that's the way I am rather than sit there and draw it all out on a chalkboard and then get to it because yeah. you know why while you're sitting there drawing your schematic of what you want to do, I'm going to be three quarters of the way done with the job. Right. 
and I'll have fumbled along the way, right. but it'll get done at a high level, and I'll be halfway done before you're mm -hmm. done formulating whatever it is you want. Sure. I'm a 100% work harder, not smarter person, mm -hmm. and I get reminded of that every day. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to change that. <laughs> right, right. Hey, everyone. I hope you're enjoying part two of the Tim Strelicki interview. Can't tell you how much fun it was to record Timmy with his open book mentality in order to help other people. And I would imagine it helps him at the same time. So I did want to mention a couple quick things. Thank you, Powers Bike Shop, for continuing to sponsor the podcast. And I have a little co-sponsor in Old Bones Therapy, which is pretty cool. I'll put some links in the notes for both. And just thankful for that. Uh, one more quick thing. As many of you may know, the jam is still on. We have limited spots, so we could stay within the state guidelines. We will practice safe COVID-suggested guidelines and keep the social distancing at a maximum. And we will all wear masks and we'll make this thing work because road to recovery is always in need of money to help action athletes that that get into some pretty difficult situations and uh, often uh, paralysis cases. For those of you that follow BMX racing, this will also help people like Kai Sakabarbara, I think is how you say his name. I probably just killed that. And also uh, continue to help Sam Willoughby. So there's a couple racers in there and then a couple motocrossers in there that that uh, we really need to get money back in the funds for so they can continue their therapy. We will absolutely do our best and really looking forward to it. Only about two weeks away from the time you listen to this, if you listen to it soon, on July 26th at the Trumbull Track. Please come. If you haven't at least given me your name to let me know that you will be there, please do. You could email me at jpdoherty70 at gmail.com. If you would prefer to DM me, you can do that through grounddad2000 on Instagram. Uh, you could also find me on Messenger through Facebook at Joe Doherty, and you should see a picture that separates me from the other Joe Dohertys. Anyway, really excited for that and super happy with all the sponsors that are coming in. Uh, a couple to, to name, just to name a few. Uh, Matt Hoffman, Vans, Shadow, Sabrosa, Cult, Kink, and Cinema, along with Eastern Bikes. I know I'm going to forget a bunch, but this is just the beginning. And I'll have a, a complete list of all the sponsors very soon. One more quick thank you, and it's to the trail guys in Connecticut that are building the jump line for the event. It's already shaping up thanks to the work of Remo. That's all you need to know him as is Remo. Uh, Sunday, I think we'll get a ton of it done. But anyway, I'll post some pictures of that to get you psyched up for the event. So I hope 
people can make it, people that feel comfortable being at an event like that, I hope you can make it. And if you can't, then maybe you can help from afar. Oh yeah, and I'm gonna have a Brian Foster 22 inch fit bike up for auction. So uh, yeah, we need more auction items too, by the way. Whatever it is, it can be artwork, it could be memorabilia, it could be anything you want. All right, let's get back to Timmy. It's what got me to where I am because I always worked harder. I never, I'm not the most talented person, mm -hmm. but I, my work ethic is there and I'll put in the work Just no matter what. Like even more than most. Yeah, and even when I had a coach, you know, it would be like, what do you want to do? I don't care. I'm paying you. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. And if I can't do it, I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. If it's too easy, I'll tell you. If it's too mm -hmm. hard, I'll tell you. Mm -hmm. But tell me what to do and I'll do it. Sure. Like kind of that that way. Sure. Like you, you don't have to you, you don't have to tell me twice. Right. Tell me once and I'll do it. Mm -hmm. That's how I've always been my entire life. Can't beat it. Well, people couldn't beat it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Well, they can. Hey, where did the Eric Carter picture ever went that you had on your on, on your? He had on a mirror. It was a phrase. Uh, second second place isn't shit. worth shit or whatever. Yeah, that was the best. That mo that want to talk about motivation? That motivated me as a young BMXer. Yeah. That motivated me. I've always been a fan of Eric Carter, yeah, yeah. and even like in the CW and Hutch days, mm -hmm. like those were, like I just there was something about his style and just the way he rode and yeah. later on in life getting to know him personally and, and, and mm -hmm. you know spent some time in California riding his, his parents backyard trails and yeah. those were some good times and just that when I saw that and the intensity and what yeah. and, and the volume mm -hmm. that that saying spoke to me as a BMXer yeah that was like yeah. that's it right that is it right yeah. there second place ain't shit I right. remember that. It had his reflection in the mirror. Yeah. It was taped on the mirror. Oh, yeah. And I think I said something about that. We talked, uh, I think a few of us talked about it on that. That was. Either on that thread or something. No, but I said something about it on my social media and he commented. He commented yeah. back on that. Oh, really? Yeah. And that was, that was nice. huge for me, too, because that stuck. I, I brought you this because. Oh, yeah. Um, I, you probably read about yep. me. Yep, yep, yep. So I, I buy a bunch of them and. Uh, so I'm looking at this heavy pedals uh, zine. It's a zine, but it's becoming more and more like a magazine every month. I like it. For each issue. There's a pretty, uh, there's a piece in here that I wrote. After, yeah. After I go to the... I'll read it. Yeah, you can read it. Um, so I brought you one. Cool. And the reason I mention this right now is magazines. You would have never had that picture of Eric Carter if there weren't magazines. I wish there were still magazines. That's... And, and I know, I get it. It doesn't make sense financially uh but man every time someone comes out with something like this he's done this guy's done a great job with it and he'll up soon because he, he broke his humorous pretty bad the guy that does this but he's like the happiest guy so anyway he'll he'll be good but um you know you get a once a year like dig yep usually puts out something yep. once a year usually uh-huh um i'm trying to think of uh, brian barnard uh does the uh Oh, I just lost it. Coastal. Um, Broken and Coastal, I think. Oh, okay. And he's a great photographer. A lot of BMX. Northwest, uh, Northwest BMX stuff. Trails. Anyway, whatever gets published, I buy. And this guy, uh, when he got going, I just said, well, I'll buy, you know, $50 worth because they were like five bucks. Uh-huh. And I'll hand them out. I'll just hand them out. So, um, awesome. I'll yeah. Look forward so to it. 
Anyway, that's for you. I always like to try to stay relevant on what's going on. Yeah. To some, to some point. Yeah, and, and if it resonates with you, then uh, but that's, I'll send you part of the next round. I wish, I wish there was still print media because that's what I gravitated towards uh-huh. when I was a kid growing up in BMX was I could look at a photo and interpret it my own way. Yeah. Not the way that the photographer meant the photo mm-hmm. to be taken or their vision, but I could look at it and get my own interpretation of it and, mm-hmm. and what it meant to me. And that's how I looked at the magazines when Keith and I would stay up late at night thumbing through old BMX Actions or BMX Plus or Super BMX or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just like, you know, check out this photo. You know, this photo's yeah. rad or this guy did this or holy crap, did you see this? Yeah. And, you know, you could, you could, you, it could tell its own story to you. And, that, uh-huh. you know, especially with social media and everything that goes on today, you can't. You can't look at an image without being drawn to the comments and everyone looks at the comments and everyone's either got something cool to say or there's yeah. something negative to say. And I'd rather not sure. deal with any of that. I'd rather yeah. just ha- let the picture tell me its own story. Right, right. You know? Your interpretation is the only one that matters anyway. Right. right? You're yeah, reading there it was, for you. There were so many cool things. Like, yeah. I, remember, I remember watching the World Championships when it was on Nickelodeon uh-huh. back from like 87. Right? Yeah. And that was... That's when Todd Lines doubled. That, that's when Todd, Todd doubled. But Corbett won. 18 and over or whatever. No, I think I think Carter won. Carter won. That's what I'm getting at. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it was supposed to be Corbett at his thing, home track. The coolest thing I ever seen and what, like, yeah, yeah. what made me want to do it was I... I watched that and I watched it over and over. I almost mm-hmm. wore the damn tape out. Like, yeah. first of all, I was like, okay, this is my class, 11 years old. And it was like Mark Steers was in there. Yeah, yeah. And like a couple of other guys that I grew up racing were in there. And I'm like, yeah. I could do that. Daniel Sprague ended up winning that because he jumped the double. And uh, nobody else jumped the double. Turn. Right? And he won yeah, it. Yeah. And I'm like, ooh, I want to be that good. Yeah. And so from that point, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to work, I'm going to work my butt off to be that good one day. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of like when the fire started to get there sure and I realized like I could probably do this mm-hmm. and then you know we hit some lumps and bumps in, ro- in the road along the way because the national circuit was hard but right. one of the coolest things I ever seen was that power slide that Eric Carter did at the end of at the <laughs> finish line when he won that was yeah, like the yeah, coolest yeah. thing I almost burnt broke the tape right there because yeah. I thought it was just like that's the power slide that I see in every magazine like that's it full speed that's awesome it's yeah very, no very uh, that was one of the coolest things yeah yeah that I had seen no, and that's, that resonates it, with me, and that's way back in the '80s. Sure, no, and that's so funny because that—that's that, a great memory to have. It's just like that is pure BMX right there. That. So now we're gonna go to. We'll do Bri- Brian's. Okay. So, do you have any particular photo or photos that you are stoked on seeing in the mags? Hmm. Um, I'm sorry. He's saying back then. When there were Max, you know, what we just talked about. Oh um, my goodness, and, and so we're, many. we're really. We could be talking about, or he could be asking about pictures of you or pictures of other people that got you stoked. I remember. Wow, that. That's going to take a serious memory jog. Yeah. Um, Mine were always Chris Muller stuff, just when he was testing. Oh, he did some of the raddest stuff. Yeah. 
Like, and I you never seeing, know if what was you that pulled one caption? it off I don't or even not. know if it was. I don't know if it was Chris or if it was Fuzzy or whatever. But all yeah. the caption said was, "Did he pull it? Does it matter?" And yes. It was just something ridiculous. I think it was Moeller. He was doing. I think he was doing an XF can can, but both feet came. Yeah. Off. Yeah. Something like that. It may have been a different one, but uh, anyway. I always thought. I always thought when uh, when Go was around. Yeah. Go was a cool publication. I mm -hmm. always thought that because they mixed. They mixed like the two worlds really well as far yeah. as BMX and freestyle in one. Yeah. I think they, they did a, a good job of that. Mm -hmm. I think one of the crazy ones was like seeing seeing when I think Matt Hoffman did the first backflip on a quarter pipe mm -hmm. and just that image captured on the cover of Go, that was pretty cool. Um, I think the one from Woodward way back when of BF, I think Spike took it. Where BF's got like, he's doing a knack knack. He's got like, it's a black and white photo, I think, and his socks are colored green. I don't know if Spike or Lou or somebody took that. Yeah. But that was cool because it was cool just to, because I knew Brian. Right. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. He actually like got in the magazine. That's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Right. You know, and not knowing what that would go on to become. Right. Um, yeah, I don't, there was. How about trail picks? Trail picks. Oh, there's too many. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's too many. I mean, that one, that one. I think, I think Delecki shot it of of Brian, where he's on that roller. Oh, that, he's scrubbing the thing. Yeah, yeah where that yeah. that that uh, that kind of blew that kind of, if you will, uh, blew mm. up the internet, <laughs> as, yeah. as they say. Yeah. Um, Made a nice poster out of that. Yeah, Keith. Keith always got really creative with his with his shots and a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff that a lot of the stuff that he did really came from a a really I think it was kind of like a progressive kind of a time mm -hmm. and maybe that's just because I spent a lot of time with him as like a sure. kind of like a test subject yeah, yeah. you know we would go out to like Clinton or Genevieve's trails and he, uh, he'd be shooting okay. photos and be like do this mm -hmm. do that you know yeah. we'd, you know just yeah. have some fun and he would be holding the camera mm -hmm. I don't know I can't really peg one down there's just been a lot of cool there's been a lot of cool stuff that's happened in BMX. There really has. You know, it used to be my favorite shop because maybe I was kind of hoping that things would go this way, and eventually it did in a weird way. But that Irvine World Cup where they had that humongous set of doubles, yeah. and they had that picture of Greg Hill wearing a pink... Did he have the pink GT uniform on? Pink GHP uniform? GHP, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah pink GHP. Uh -huh. I forget who else was in it. I was so focused on him. But everybody's pretty much airborne at the same time. Yeah. It, it was a big, it was a, at least in the magazines, it looked huge. Yeah. I, and that was, that was a cover, right? Yeah. Of BMX action. That's, that's one that I always thought was like, wow, this is what I do. This is like BMX. This and is real. There's one, there's one actually that, that actually Keith, Keith mm -hmm. took. And it seems so simple. And a lot of people won't like, they won't um, relate, mm -hmm. but it was I think it was his first cover oh. for Snap yeah and it was I think it was ABA mm -hmm. the Winter Nationals in, in Phoenix and it was just a gate photo of just heavy hitters like oh Rick Palmer was at the front of it no no this Not is that after one? that it, I don't think Rick Palmer's in it it was like Thunder Dan mm -hmm. and King yeah, and yeah, I forget yeah. who else maybe McPherson and a bunch of other okay. dudes but it, it's just like from from that front view but kind of yeah. side view yeah. and it's like up close and I think King is like the focal point okay. but there's just so much horsepower on there and you're like yeah. 
That's a good photo. Like, yeah. I always liked gate photos because uh-huh. everyone's style is different oh, yeah. and everyone's power is different. But to capture that right moment yeah. when the gate's just about to drop and everyone's just full on committed to it, yeah. there's something about that. There's something yeah. about that. I always, I always liked that. Yeah. I always liked that. Mm-hmm. I've always been a, a fan of gate photos. There you go. You figured it out. It, within the time limit of this podcast. It's pretty good. There's a time limit? <laughs> Only until I have to get back to the airport. Oh. That's all. I thought you were staying. No, I'm right, right. Let me yeah. try to change it. Yeah. Um, or his other question was huge. More of a statement. But let me see what I got here. Huge respect for your drive to be the best from your early years through the present day. As an admittedly lazy guy. This guy's always funny. I love Brian. <laughs> don't know. We're all lazy at some point. I know. Point. Especially my father's day. He's wicked lazy. Super cross. I read that. I did nothing. It's all right. It's great. It's all right. First day, I did not. I think I rode hard in the morning, so I wouldn't feel guilty for the afternoon. It worked. That's your ego, Joe. It is. Everybody's guilty of that. It is. <laughs> Take it from me. Actually, it's more like I'm getting. I'm staring. Yeah. You know, two months. I don't, I don't staring have too down, much time left. You're right. Get out. Staring down the barrel of fifty in two yeah, months. I'm like, right. I gotta go ride. That's all right. I gotta go. Uh, anyway, uh, as an admittedly lazy guy, I admire that in people. We talked a lot about this, your drive, so Brian's going to know he already heard this answer a few times. Um, it's, the same, it's the same question we're talking about, motivation and getting the job done and being self-driven. Um, yeah, I just want to try to be a little bit better than I was the day before or even, even the year before. Yeah. There's all, you can always improve, whether it's in sport Absolutely. or your personal life. You just have to... Right. You just have to be willing to... Admit what your weaknesses are. You have yeah. to work on your weaknesses. Nobody mm-hmm. likes to hear that they're weak in anything. Right. Nobody. But right. it's the truth. Yeah. You're weak in some area of your life. And the only way to rectify that is to work on it, mm-hmm. as painful as it may be. Right. That's it. As painful as it may be, you have to put in the time to to get better at what you suck at. Sure. To See, put it's back it to the perfectionist thing. There is no perfection, so you no. don't keep... If you, there was, then no one would, everyone would just quit. But yeah. there's, there's a difference. You could be, you, you, you could, you know, you could, you, how can I say this? There's ways to go about being a better person without being a dick. Mm-hmm. And you have to realize that, you know? Don't be, like, aggressive or, you know, don't, you know, for me personally, don't flaunt it, don't talk about it, just... Just go on about your day and your life and try to just do a little bit better mm-hmm. for you, for those around you, for your community, mm-hmm. for those you work with. You know, that's all stuff that I'm just trying to, like, come to terms with. And these are all things that I've mm-hmm. I've let slip by in my, you know, in my, in my earlier life. Like, my 20s was a waste, you know, spent in California. My 30s were a complete blur because of my addiction so mm-hmm. I don't remember hardly any of that but I could tell you straight up that I probably wasn't a good person in my 30s mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I snapped out of that when I was almost 40 that I've come to realize like clock's ticking man you don't have a lot more time to do good right right so it's a work in progress but mm-hmm. just gotta stay motivated I'm gonna ask you this one question I had written down what's that uh, and I, I think it relates exactly to what you're talking about was there ever a time that you felt untouchable in BMX, and did it run over into your personal life? 
Untouchable meaning I can't do no wrong, I can't lose, I'm the best. I'm the best. Uh, Arrogant. I, I would honestly say no. That's great. I would honestly say no, and for those of you listening that may, may not believe that, I can honestly, if you know me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought I was good at something. And I thought I was good enough and lucky enough to achieve what I achieved, and I never... I never went around saying, oh, you suck, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to kick your ass, you, you're not even worthy. I never went around with that attitude. It was always like, I always went, I always went to the gate, no matter how good I may be feeling, I always went to the gate nervous. Mm-hmm. Every single moto of my entire life, yeah. I went to the gate nervous, yeah. you know, because I was either up against one really good dude bunch of good dudes or myself yeah and I always was nervous people forget that gate nine person but yeah your mind gate nine lives in your brain yeah right you know and if I always went to the gate nervous I never took it for granted that I was better than anybody mm-hmm. yeah never not in not in any of not even in that what we talked about earlier with that one memorable race. Sure. I didn't even, I didn't cross the line going, I kicked these dudes ass. Right. I was, I crossed the line with the biggest like, <sighs> yeah, that's over with. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to worry about that. Right. That was it. Yeah. Like, we did it. It's mm-hmm. cool. All right. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about that. Right. Right. I'm thankful it worked out. Yeah. And it's just, I never, I never, and I, I just always think that that goes back to me not wanting I was never a person to brag I never wanted to talk about myself and I think that's that carried over into that like mm-hmm. I never had a big head like you would get you would see s- some of the west coasters yeah they had that kind of they had that kind of personality you know and uh, it kind of turned you off when you when you came up against it and was like I don't even like you Right, like, right. You're kind of a dick. Yeah. I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. Get away from me. Yeah. Um, but then there were there were guys from the West Coast that were totally cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never had. I, I never wanted to be that person. Sure. And I still don't want to be that person. You know, ever. And and I don't think you were. Um, I like to ask questions like that to have you look at it from the other side and like kind of looking back at yourself. And, yeah, uh, and, and making that, yeah, drawing that conclusion. So, I know you were nothing but nice to me for all the times I saw you back then. So yeah, it's I already knew the answer, but it's nice to have everyone here because, hey, let's face it, there's lots of people. I mean, you talked about seven titles, um, NBL titles, almost all NBL titles, and then the th- yeah. uh, three worlds in a row. Four, Joe. Get four, it right. Four. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Four. Sorry. Four. Forgive me. Sorry. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of them was more than a thousand miles away, so yeah. maybe I forgot. No, uh, no, but I mean, it's it. You could have been. Is what I I'm could saying. have easily you could been. have been. But I wasn't raised like that. It, correct. Correct. And I think my I mother. Think and this isn't a knock at my mom. She was just a proud parent. Hmm. Um, yeah. I think the, fo- the the point that my mom was so vocal about it turned me off to it even more. Right. I've always been humble. You wanted to do your own thing and not. Yeah, I don't want to. Like my, I, I, I did, I did well at the worlds. Uh huh. And I would come home and there'd be a gigantic banner on the front of my parents' house. 
Yeah. Like my mother would make it. I mean, it was almost Joe. This is almost the size of a two-story house, from the gutters <laughs> to the ground. Oh man! Congratulations, this and that, and I would pull up and oh, be like, "Please gosh. take that down. Wow. Please take that down." Yeah, right. She never listened right. because she was proud. Right. And I get it. Yeah. I would be the same way probably if I had, if mm. I had children of my own. Right. But you, you can't help it being a proud parent. But me, mm-hmm. as the one that's having the success and achieving those things, I sure. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think you described it best as proud parent because that's that's uh, naturally going to happen when when your parents are so proud of you. You know, it's a, yeah. they know what a big deal it is. They've seen, they probably watched it happen with people that that you slowly reeled in and beat, and yeah. and you beat them. You know, so it's but a, the funny thing too is like, I'm my parents were never pushy. Yeah, my parents were never pushy. They never had to really motivate me mm-hmm. because I was motivated enough. And they gave me the freedom to be. Right. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm thankful for that. You know, my dad raced. He crashed. He understood what racing was all about. Mm-hmm. And my mom, being the hugest cheerleader, you know, she she understood it all. But there were some times where she was a little harsh on me. Like, I wouldn't be having a good day or I wouldn't be winning motos or whatever. And she'd be like, what's wrong with you? What's going on? Like, this and that. And I remember... I remember it came to a head one time at, I think it was Egg Harbor. Mm-hmm. I was just having a terrible, terrible day. Nothing was going right. I think I crashed like three times. And at that time, she, I think that was one of the crossover months with you and Ronnie, right? It might have been. It might have been where... Zupka was in there. Yeah. And I just, I don't know, something was wrong, but I think I yelled at her and told her that if she could do better to go out and race for me. And I threw, I threw my entire thing at her. I threw my, I threw my whole uniform, my helmet. I was like, if you can go do, Mm -hmm. think you can do better, go do it. Yeah. And then from that moment on, she never, sure. Yeah. She shored that up real quick. Well, real quick, uh, Brian Foster wants to know who can manual better you or him. I could probably still manual better than Brian with one arm. (laughs) There's a million and one things he can do better than me. Right. But I still think I got it. It's great. I want to go to the next family party you guys have. All right. They're a lot different now than they used to be. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, They're actually, we'll get we're, we'll get into that in a minute because uh, I do want to. I didn't necessarily intend on putting it off to the end to to wrap on it, but I think it could end on a positive note. But we'll get into the addiction uh, yeah. stuff um, because that's something that we both want to do something positive with. Me spreading what you share. So, um, okay, I'm going to ask you a couple quick ones. Ted Nelson wants to know, better racing, Orange Y or Shoreham? Um, Orange Y sucked, by the way. But, I mean, as far as the track goes, there was really nothing to it. But the people, when I went to California with Mike Savage, the people that were in the motos were just there for practice. It was like, holy crap. Yeah. This is intense. I think... All right, here's my perspective. All right. I think I think Shoreham BMX was ahead of the curve as far as making tracks require more technical skills, mm-hmm. right? And I think as an East Coaster growing up and having that, you know, that card in my pocket and growing up with such a large scene and guys that were equally interested in racing as well as riding trails, I think that 
translated into how our track became. Um, so I, I think when it went, when, when it came to going out west and practicing out west, those tracks were pretty easy. Yeah. Like they didn't require a lot of skill, but like you said, Joe, they brought hitters. Yeah. Hitters. Oh, yeah. I mean, every night of the week, mm-hmm. there was five or six gates that you could load with eight dudes that would smoke you. Which has to be the reason those guys were so good. Because yeah. you guys experienced that, like you said, you were ahead of the curve, but you had so many guys that were so good. And you've heard all the podcasts. Yeah. Because whether it be Irochi or Terra or Bavona or... Um, but like these, Keith, our know. scene was good racers mm-hmm. and equally good trail riders, right? Yes, definitely. And then they would converge on a Sunday and we'd do our thing at the track and then mm-hmm. we'd go to the trails. And Right. But the West Coast scene, as I perceived it, and in my opinion, those dudes were good racers. Racers. Right. Not a lot of them could ride trails very good. Squatters. But they were phenomenal racers. Phenomenal racers. And it was always cool to go to Orange. Like the first couple times I went there, it was like, this is so iconic. I can't believe I'm here right now. Right. Like I saw this growing up as a kid. Right. I can't believe I'm even here right yeah. now. Yeah. And it would always be like to gravitate towards where's the double on the back straight? Yeah. yeah. And it was always like about the double on the back straight because mm-hmm. that was always like the big jump. Right. And people would get rad off that thing all the time. But that Orange Y and Cole Canyon, for that matter, would draw just like tons of good people. And gate practice all throughout the week mm-hmm. would be stacked. Yeah. But I, I think as far as talent mm-hmm. is concerned. Right. We had it hands down. Yeah. East Coast had it hands down. Shoreham yeah. had it hands down. And we only got, if we're lucky, seven or eight months out of the year. Right. To do it in. Right. So we had a steeper curve. Yeah. So we got better quick. Yeah. Proportionally, they, California really sucked. Well, yeah. Versus I mean, because you could, you, could, no. you could have any, any one of the strong racers, but you take them, bring them to our yeah, coast yeah, yeah, and yeah. have them ride our right, trails, right. and it's like... Just like we sucked over there, so just, yeah. You're a good racer, but you're really not good here. Yeah, yeah. We had we right, had right. we had both ends of the candle. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. We could race right. and we could ride. Right. They could only race. Yeah, and and, and obviously I'm kidding about them sucking. I think they they took it as an as an athletic sport. They trained. Yeah. They did. Yeah. They trained, and it's fresh on my mind because of that Sean Dupree interview, yeah. where squat rack, squat rack, squat rack, sprints, squat rack, sprints. And he won. He won and won. And, he, and him and I were joking that we weren't that good as amateurs. And then once he he put that focus on, because he didn't want to lose anywhere. He wanted to be like those guys. Figured out what the what the secret was, which was a lot of gym time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway. But they can, got a lot of track people, time, too, because it's yeah. 12, year, 12 months out of the year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know? But for someone from the East Coast to do that when he wasn't, living out there he, he went back and forth yeah. a little bit but um, I mean that's what makes that's yeah. what makes it even more special growing up on the east coast and having su- mm-hmm. success all throughout the country is yeah. we only had eight, eight or nine months right right you know yeah. maybe ten if we had good November yeah yeah exactly but then it's like it's hard y- y- you have to love it in there are even in the at the best times it was not a lot available for indoor no you had that little place in Wakefield, or not Wakefield? I never, I never rode any indoor track. No, 
No, I don't went? even know what I did in the winter. Now yeah. that I think about it, I had rollers. I rode rollers. Right, right. But I didn't ride them religiously. Right, right. Dork around on them here or there. But sure. I don't even know what I did. I might. I know Keith and I would go out in the middle of winter at night and ride. But it was not like... It's more yeah. just goofing off. Right, right. Not sprinting. It's not... It's not yeah, you're not, you're not sprinting in negative five degree weather. No. no. You know? No. Uh, one more from Ted. A quick one from Jeff. And then we'll uh, switch it over... Yeah. To you. Uh, what time you got? 321. Oh, baby. I'm going to be cutting this close. It's all right. No, we're I'll, good. I'll keep it short. No problem. I think we're going to do it just in time. The, the last one from Ted. It was... Uh, oh, actually, I'm going to ask one first. Shouldn't shouldn't Ted, Jet, Ted and Jeff be on this podcast at some point? I'm it's surprised like that they're not. Yeah. But you have to do it's them no collectively brainer. at one time. But That's yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. All right. Why are you not? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I, 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 I think, think Ted should do a be decent next. job for Ted them. and Jeff should be next. I'm not quitting until they do it. Ah, that's not a good threat because that could force me to do it for way longer than I want to. Jeff's just going to drop a bunch of F-bombs and Ted's not going to say a word. <laughs> it's going to be like Jay and Silent Bob. If I could get three hours out of Chris Holman, I could do it with them. Oh, good for you. <laughs> good for you. I'm not sure it was good for me, but yeah, it was... <laughs> he 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 was a super interesting guy. Oh, absolutely. Um, but you know, some people need to be asked to to tell the story of whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone yep. everyone interviews differently. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Ted's other question was best mulligan van story. If it's the one where they hit the deer, I think we've told this one if, or nah. heard it a few times. Nah, you got another one? I ain't that one. Nice, Ted. Good call. Sorry, Best Ted. That's Mulligan Van story. Because I text him back. I'm like, well, I already heard that one. Give me a different one. The deer one? one? Yeah, the deer one's funny. The deer one is the funny. The deer one's funny. And the yeah. fact that they when just... Justin they took just... over and went the wrong way. <laughs> Justin Fredo. I was listening to that. I'm like, that's Justin to a T, man. He got in some zone and he was just yeah. like, whatever. Oh, um, but anyway, um, yeah. Best Mulligan Van story. All right. Um, so I think we're coming home from a race. It's me. Mm-hmm. It's Keith. And I think just um, his mom, and she's driving. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think it's it's kind of dusk. Uh-huh. I don't think it was middle of the day because I don't think this is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> but we're coming. We're we're like two minutes away from my house, and there's this road that we're traveling down. It's kind of downhill, yeah. right? And we cross some railroad tracks, like uh, from the Long Island Railroad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That runs through town, and. Uh, Mrs. Mulligan, she's talking, we're all talking, and and these tracks are like a lip. Like, yeah. you gotta slow down for these things. And Mrs. Mulligan didn't slow down for these things, and I think she probably had to be going like 40, and she blasted these oh tracks. Just, what? Dukes of Hazard. Hold on, Dukes of Hazard, just, <laughs> it just skied the van, the van and just, boo-boo! Oh, Betty. Oh, it was good. It was so good. Nobody nobody got hurt. I think she saw him at the last minute. And, she, like, it was too late to break. Tried to yank and back. she just went for it. Oh, I mean, she didn't floor it, but she didn't right. jam on the brakes. It was super funny. Oh, that is really that was, funny. That was, that was funny. Oh, God. That's, that was funny. I'll but, never forget that. Yeah. Me and Keith were cracking up. Oh, I'm and so... I, he, Keith, may ha- Keith may know better, but I'm pretty sure his mom was driving. And it was hysterical. Oh. Great, Ted. Again, I'm sorry because I was like, we are like I told you. Yeah. I've already heard the deer story, Ted. Think of some other ones, but he was dead on right. Yeah. Because he listened, so he knew which one yeah. had been told. 
So good on you, Ted. Yep. Um, and Jeff wanted to know, because Jeff's pretty creative, he couldn't use any F-bombs, so he just wrote favorite step shirt, which is why, I went, why I'm wearing this. I but. saw that. Was the first thing I, that's the first thing I thought yeah. of when you pulled up. I was like, ha, huh, represent. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but I know we had lots of variations. My favorite? I think the logo that you have on the STP logo mm -hmm. was one of my favorite ones. That's the iconic one. The, the iconic on one. Plate. Yep. Yep. We all ran that one. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I liked... I liked the Suzuki S. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked that with one. the green and yellow. Yeah, or it was just he green, did he did white. like a he did like almost like a what was like an old Suzuki yeah. looking long sleeve. Yeah, he did that one. That one was cool. Yeah. Or he had one. I think that was it was printed on a red long sleeve. It uh -huh. had some print on the sleeves. Yeah, and I think it was like I want to say it was like a it was a green logo. It said step and it had like I want to say it was like a drizzle pattern and Ted. Please forgive me if I'm wrong, but I have photos of it somewhere. Um, but that one was pretty cool too. And the best hat I ever owned, hands down, was a Kelly Green STP Step Logo hat that I wish I still had to this day. And Ted knows that because I actually talked to Ted probably yeah a year and a half ago. I believe when he was, he was trying to get a hold of Brian. Oh, okay. It's like, how can I do this? <laughs> I'm like, well, Ted, there's a couple ways you could do it. Well, one of them was to put in the subject. You had to put. Uh, uh, someone's name, uh, Todd Lyons. If you had Todd Lyons in the subject line he'll, of of even the text, even if you put Todd Lyons first, that's how you get him to open it. That's what I heard. That's news I to me. I believe I tested it too. I didn't do that. Yep. No. Yep. But, uh, because you know everyone. <laughs> I gave him my two cents. I think he got a hold of him. Uh huh. Good. So, yeah. Ted's yeah, always thinking. And, those were and those were my favorite. Yeah. And Jeff, FJA, I mean, that's that's, uh, that's yeah. what he had. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Ted always get... had good stuff, man. Definitely. I always loved getting, like, a shirt or stickers or anything when mm -hmm. when you guys would come down. Ted yeah. would have, like, a little small batch. Right, right. And I always I always sweated the race uniform the, that uh, Jeff had. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. was always like, oh, mm -hmm. that was good. He had a yellow one, too. Yes, I remember that the yellow one. had, like, the Star Trek logo kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, you also had them in white. Somehow, when I the was yellow one is the one I remember super. with that like weird triangle with the dots on the yeah. side of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think you it posted a good. video of Jeff getting taken out from the Christmas Classic wearing that uniform. Because so. you did a little, you did a little like. I think I did. There, I think yeah. there was a, there was a shot of me in there. Yeah. There was you in there. Uh -huh. There was Jeff getting taken out, which was hysterical because <laughs> you could just see Jeff like. Typical Jeff, just give up. Undo the Jofa. Don't even worry about trying again. Like, I'm done. I'm going to the shaved ice stand. Right. <laughs> Peace. Where are the trails? Yeah. Are there trails at Columbus? Yeah. Who's got to be? Yeah, those are the best. That, oh that race God. was awesome. Oh, gosh. All right. So, uh, so let's, uh, if we could kind of blend it together to hit the direction you want to hit. I want to try to start with how and when your your addiction started, okay, and how and when it ended, essentially, and kind of yeah, and, and say it however you want, and uh, and I, I know you have a, uh, a a goal of of helping people that that need to talk about it need need the help. So yeah, however you want to say it, but the floor is yours for that one. I don't have a particular direction. And right. uh, I think you've thought about it a well, bit. Is that right? I haven't stopped thinking about it since the day I started it. Um, addiction is ugly. 
addiction comes in in many different ways uh, a lot of different shapes and sizes and means a lot of different things to a lot of different people um, for me personally I got addicted to um, what started out as painkillers and then painkillers um, transitioned into um, other drugs which transitioned into alcoholism so it's rather ugly for me um, I'm making by no means am I making an excuse mm -hmm. um, for anything any of my actions uh, but the whole addiction thing for me started when I broke my leg at the end of 2000 um, at Cheap Hills I was in a lot of pain and I was in recovery and I was confused about my direction in life as far as what I wanted to do with my life because I didn't go to college I didn't really have you know I had a high school education um, again I didn't go to college and I didn't know what direction I was gonna go mm -hmm. once I healed from my injury um, could have been mid 20s right yeah, so I started, in recovery, I started to, I was prescribed um, Vicodin, mm -hmm. um, and due to the nature of my injury, it was a heavy dose. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it was 800 milligrams in a pill. Whew. They were horse pills. Yeah. Like, they were yeah. legit. And I started to eat those like candy. Mm -hmm. I got addicted to the feeling. Uh, it took all my pain away. It took, um, it took all of, it, it took me out of reality. Mm -hmm. And at that point in time, that's all I cared about. I didn't really care about getting better. I wanted to get better, but I didn't have a direction once I got better. Mm -hmm. But the Vicodin took me to a place where I didn't have to think about that. I could just go and lay in a bed and not think about anything and forget about life for the longest time. And as I began to get a, uh, a tolerance for that, my consumption got more and more and more and more to the point where I was going to my doctor probably every two months, maybe less, and asking him for a refill. Mm -hmm. And at first it was, it wasn't questioned. Mm -hmm. There was never a red flag. It was like, hey doc, I'm, I'm writhing in pain. You know, um, it's still existing. I'm still having, I'm still having trouble, which mm -hmm. as an addict, you're not truthful. You're not truthful with yourself. Mm -hmm. and you're not truthful to those around you mm -hmm. and that's one of the problems with addiction um, it's ugly and it I, I would stretch the truth so I could get more and I would eat that stuff like candy and I would give it out to people and whatever I'm not proud of that um, but I got addicted to it real fast and real hard really really hard so on top of not only taking the pills, I was 
I was drinking probably at least a 12 pack a day with those pills. So essentially I was taking probably six to eight pills a day on top of drinking at least a 12 pack. Mm-hmm. And I would do this day in and day out for months, months. Mm-hmm. And I would just sit in the house that I shared with Mulligan and I think, I forget who else was roommates at the time. I think. Darcy was there at the time mm-hmm. um, and I'm not sure who else was there but I would just waste my day away in a fog mm-hmm. and I didn't care about anyone around me I didn't care about my family I didn't care about myself I just didn't care mm-hmm. and all I cared about was being drunk and being being on Vicodin mm-hmm. because it took me out of the reality that I was suffering Mm-hmm. The, the reality which I was currently living in and there was some super duper duper dark days in there where I wondered to myself how much can I do or how much can I take so I don't wake up mm-hmm. like I don't there'd be days where I was, I was fine and my dosage would be, be less and I'd almost be happy that it was less mm-hmm. but there would be days where I was like I can't stand this how do I, how do I get the hell out of here how do I check out mm-hmm. you know almost suicidal yeah. if you will sure which I dealt with at another point mm-hmm. um, and there were some really really dark times and it came to a point where I was like I said I was taking a lot of medic medication I was drinking a lot I think I was smoking cigarettes at the time like I was just piling it on mm-hmm. like how can this misery just end itself? Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to be around here anymore. Right. I didn't care. I didn't care what it did to my family. I didn't care what it did to anybody. Mm-hmm. All I knew was if it took care of how I was feeling, that's it. That's mm-hmm. the answer. Right. And for whatever reason, it was never my time. And I got lucky in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I got lucky in a lot of ways because I had I had enablers, mm-hmm. people that would be, I'd just be like, "Come on, man, just can you go get right. me this twelve pack, or can you get me, can you go right. get me some more of my pills, or this sure. or that?" And my doctor, I don't fault him for this at all, mm-hmm. um, but he started to catch on. Yeah, he started to recognize the intervals mm-hmm. and see where I was at within my recovery knowing full well as a smart man and a doctor of medicine that there's no way you should be going through these pills this quick and he caught on and he cut me off so I didn't have access to to the narcotics anymore I didn't have that and that that was rough Mm -hmm. so that kind of kicked up my smoking habit a little bit and I only smoked cigarettes for like a year Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, I grew up in a smoking household. So to me, it was like, right. my whole family smoked. Right. Right. I'm just like the last one. Who right. cares? Right. So um, I smoked for like a year. I quit cold turkey because it was just, I had one crazy episode with my heart where my heart was like, like it did something weird. And I was like, that's yeah. it. I'm done. So I just quit cold turkey there. So that saved my life. Yeah, but yeah. I think that was a ramification of the hard narcotics, the alcohol, and stuff like that. Um, and you were still trying to ride at that time? Yeah, I was kind of... I don't know where I was at in my sporting life. I don't think... there. When in my recovery and in my addiction, as it started out, there was never... 
there wasn't any sporting. Like I didn't care what I did. I just didn't want to be. I knew I didn't want to be around BMX, and I didn't know. Oh, so you weren't racing? No, I wasn't racing. All. Like, like in my recovery, mm -hmm. I had in the hospital <clears throat> pulled the plug on it. Like I knew I was never going back to it. Mm -hmm. So there was a period of time where I didn't know, I didn't know where I was going to go or what sure. I was going to do, which is when I started piling on the drugs and the booze and, mm -hmm. and all that other stuff. Um, you know, and then uh, the narcotics got cut off, which I'm thankful for. Mm. Um, that must have been ugly. It was seriously ugly. Like, I, I was suicidal for quite some time. I had, I had planned my own suicide all the way down to the day, all the yeah. way down to how I was going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I woke up that day, and for whatever reason, I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't do it. I don't know if it was like thoughts of my family, thoughts of I, I, I can't I can't recall, but I just knew I didn't go through with it. Mm -hmm. I didn't go through with it, and that's a good thing. Um, and not everyone reaches that point. Mm -hmm. Not everyone, and that's sad. It's so sad because oh, it reaches the point of stopping. Yeah. yeah, not everyone can see the writing on the wall or realize enough is enough mm -hmm. or have something small happen to them that opens their eyes to the bigger, the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Like, you're going through a rough patch. It'll get better. You just have to, you just have to want it to get better. You have mm -hmm. to try. Right. It's not just going to get better. You have to put work into it. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to be fun, and it's not going to be comfortable. And the conversations you have to have, either with yourself or with those that you trust, is not going to be comfortable because they're going to address some things and talk about some things that you don't, maybe aren't comfortable with or don't want to talk about. Sure. But that's part of the healing process. Yeah. And I never did any of that. Mm -hmm. I never did. I never reached out to my family mm -hmm. because I didn't want them to be ashamed of me because I felt like I had given up. Mm -hmm. I didn't want my family. I didn't want my. I didn't want my parents to be upset that I was in the state of mind that I was in, and I just didn't want to. I didn't want to burden them with that. That maybe they're going to see their child struggle with something that is all too real, and so I kept it to myself and I dealt with it in my own way. And there was, there was really dark days, really dark days where I didn't think I was going to rebound from it. And I just, I would, I think I, I, I bounced things off of Darcy. I might have talked to Keith about some things at sometimes, but for the most part, I kept it to myself. Mm -hmm. And I dealt with it on my own. I never sought out therapy because I didn't, I didn't want to hear anything anyone had to say. I wasn't right. willing to give it a chance. Right. I just wanted to, I wanted to suffer in silence. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to realize the problem was me. And it was all my doing. No one forced me to take those medic medications. No one forced me to drink that much. I did it all to myself. And if I did it to myself, I had to be accountable for that. And I had to dig myself out of the hole. Mm -hmm. You know? And I'm lucky that in my addiction to narcotics, that I was able to do that. You know? Granted, my doctor had... had Accelerated that by cutting me right. off, you know. Um, but man, and that th so this started in two thousand. You said yeah, like it would be it would be like late two thousand two thousand one, through the end of two thousand. And then you kept drinking two thousand one heavy till two thousand fifteen. No, that's a different time. So 
there was a break in there from my mm-hmm. abusive tendencies, from okay. my addictive tendencies. So after I had gotten sober from pills right, and um, eased back on the drinking because I never quit, mm-hmm. I just eased back on it, mm-hmm. I... Uh, I got into triathlon, which oh, we talked about okay, earlier, right. right? Yeah. So we got into I got into triathlon, mm-hmm. and that put you have to put a lot of energy into that. But I still drank. I didn't yeah. drink addictively, but right. I still drank. Right. You know, um, which counteracts everything you do athletically. <laughs> right. <laughs> but right. I still drank and um, still did well enough. Yeah. Man. But that's I wasn't. Crazy. It wasn't to the level where I was at before. I understand. I, I mean, I still drank. I never. I never quit. Yeah. You right. know. Right. Um, it just wasn't a 12 pack a day no no not by any means and by this time by that time Darcy and I were together so she was mm-hmm. able to keep me in check mm-hmm. she would have her concerns right. and we would talk about them mm-hmm. civilly or we would argue about them right. as an addictive person does with a non-addictive person sure. um, and that non-addictive person lets the addictive person know how it's bothering them but the addictive person or the addict doesn't want to hear it mm-hmm. gets irritated gets agitated because right. the person that actually cares cares right and wants to see that person get better but mm-hmm. I didn't want any part of that I just right. wanted her to leave me alone and let right. me do my thing right um, which was hang out with her do sport mm-hmm. and drink right yeah so that was from like 2001 to like I said 2006 and 2006 2007 uh-huh. then in February of 2007 Darcy and I uprooted from California uh-huh. came out here to Illinois moved our life out here just because I got sick of living in California I wasn't racing anymore California didn't serve a purpose to me anymore I wanted to get the hell out of there mm-hmm. she grew up and I, I was getting sick of the way people were out there mm-hmm. like the lifestyle and sure. uh, the holier than now mentality that I saw out there right. I wanted to get away from that Darcy's born and bred there she kind of felt the same way. We're like, hey, I have an opportunity with my work to transfer out. Oh, that's somewhere. how it So happened. I transferred okay. out here yeah. with my, uh, who is now my, my past employer. Um, and then when we got out here mm-hmm. and everything <clears throat> that I had had out there cycling-wise was taken away as far as road quality, scenery, uh, group rides, yeah. activity, ability to do it all year. That yeah. was all taken away. I didn't. I didn't it didn't settle well with me mm-hmm. I got depressed depression kicked in all over again oh no so I went from good fitness and that's when my alcohol alcoholism kicked in yeah. 2000 started up again in 2007 yeah and for eight years I drank every single day even though you were every trying to ride single or you day. just stopped I, I riding. stopped riding I stopped riding. I would ride maybe, I would ma- ride maybe four times a year. I would be I like, ah, I'm still in shape. I could go out and I could do 20 miles, but it'd be a 20 miler where I'm like, yeah. man, you suck. During that time period, is that when Keith got married, Mulligan? He, I forget the year I he got seeing, married. I, I just remember seeing some pictures from the wedding. I was still, I was still, I was still an alcoholic when Keith got married. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. what I'm getting at. Yes. Uh, because you. You weren't the lean that you that you are now. No, 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 no. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. so from, from that time, from 07 to 2015, mm-hmm. I drank every single day. I mean, there, you know, my wife has some diseases mm-hmm. and some ailments where she needed, you know, hospitalization. 
and you know recovery so I stayed sober for that mm-hmm. because she needed me there right. um, but other than that I didn't miss a day I didn't miss a day and depression set in all over again and I didn't care whether I lived or died mm-hmm. I would just drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and it got to the point where and I never drank booze I was only I just drank beer but I drank a lot of it mm-hmm. and I put on a lot of weight. I started to develop a, he- a whole lot of health issues. Um, my relationship with my family suffered. My mm-hmm. relationship with Darcy suffered every single day mm-hmm. because of my my uh, alcoholism. But again, as an addict, you don't care. Mm-hmm. You don't care. Right. You know, you put out the flames, and you you listen to their concerns, mm-hmm. and you tell them what they want to hear. Knowing full well that when you're saying this, you don't really give shit. You're just wanting them to shut up long enough so you could have another drink. Sure. And and she dealt with that for the longest time. And I cannot even I cannot even tell you how thankful I am that she is still around. Mm-hmm. Any other woman would have been like, you know what? You're a loser. Mm-hmm. You are a complete loser, and you're going nowhere. I'm out of here. Wherever we left off. Yeah, so again, like I am so it's being breezy, so you might want to come forward a little bit. I'm super thankful at the fact that um she stuck by me all these times. Like to be an adult man with an addiction and have someone babysit you repeatedly when you're a drunken idiot and has to come pick you up from work functions because you're too drunk, or you make an ass out of yourself at work functions. Um, to stick around and have to deal with that I couldn't have asked for a better woman but again being the addict you don't realize this stuff you, you don't you just, you're just worried about you know how am I going to get my next drink or my next pill or whatever your addiction is mm-hmm. how am I going to get that and you know my advice to anyone that is listening to this and I'm being completely serious is reach out to somebody mm-hmm. I don't care who it is you can contact me if you need to um, I will listen to you there's somebody in your life that cares about you and wants you to be well and addiction is ugly and don't be ashamed of it you know everybody has problems don't be ashamed of it address it Hit it with a full head of steam and know that it'll be okay. And thankfully for me, I had I had that support system in my wife. Um, she was around it more than my family. She saw the ugliness every single day. We argued about it. It was ugly, but she never left. And I'm thankful for that because if it wasn't for that, I don't think I'd be around right now. I'd be dead, 100%. Um, And I think, you know, there were times where I'd go back to my parents' house and I would drink. I didn't. We're good. I think for me, when it really started to sink in, was I started, all the problems I was having with my wife started to sink in. Like I started to understand things and see really what a problem it was the way I was treating myself and the ramifications it was having on her. 
Um, but one of the when when the light I will say started to flicker was I was visiting my parents one day with Darcy and I don't know if Jen and Brian were out there but I looked it was like 10:30 or 11 in the morning and I got a beer and my head was down and I cracked the beer and I looked up and my mother had the most disappointed look in her face that I'd ever seen her give me in my entire life and she didn't say anything she just looked at me and that I didn't put the drink down I drank the beer and I continued drinking but that image that I had in my head has stuck with me since that day and I could see I could see it in her eyes that she had a genuine concern for my well-being and my father did as well but he never voiced his opinion he understood because he was an alcoholic as well my grandfather was so it ran in my family and I don't fault them for that because mm-hmm. um, they never forced me to drink they never put the, the drink to my face it was all my my doing mm-hmm. but that image that I had of my mother is when the light started to go on and I really realized that I have a problem I better start addressing it and it woke me up to all the issues I was having with my wife mm-hmm. and how she's not just concerned because she likes the sound of her voice she's genuinely concerned mm-hmm. um, so I started to like really daily have conversations with myself like you got to get this under control you got to get this under control and I never could I would quit for maybe a couple days I would quit for maybe a week and I would feel good, you know? But for the better part of eight years, it was every single day. Not, didn't, I didn't care what time it was. I didn't care, you know, I didn't care how I had to go about getting it. I just get it. Darcy was an enabler. She would buy it for me. Sure. You know, she'd go to the store, what do you want? Mm-hmm. That's enabling, that's a problem. But she knew full well that if she didn't get it, we were going to have an argument. And to save her from having an argument, she she swallowed her pride, bit her tongue, and Mm -hmm. just did it, which is wrong. I'm thankful that she stuck by me, but Mm -hmm. I started to realize, like, this is becoming a problem. And And that started with your visits to Long Island when your mom... Yeah, I don't remember the year, but it was towards... It it had to be towards 2015 when I started Mm -hmm. to sober up. Or when I decided to get sober. But I was having these... I was having these overwhelming feelings every day that I woke up from a night of drinking. Mm -hmm. That... Just paralyzed me with fear. I was paralyzed with one of three things. Like, I was going to die... I was going to kill somebody or I was going to end up homeless. And as long as I can remember, ending up homeless scares the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And I never wanted to be that. And I don't even know what that feels like. So, um, most people, this comes to an end when they end up in jail. 
maybe they have yeah. a, a and I started I started to think that way and I'm like if I keep going down this path that's going to happen I'm going to die I'm going right. to be in jail I'm going right. to kill someone or I'm going to she's Darcy's going to leave me and I'm going to be left to figure life out on my own and so yeah, I could probably go cat. home and live with my parents. Sure. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to burden them with right. that. Right. Um, so what was the catalyst that really... I just think every single day for probably the better part of a month or two months, I woke up and this feeling didn't go away, Joe. Mm -hmm. Like every morning I woke up in fear. I woke up in fear. Mm -hmm. I would wake up and I'd have these this anxiety and I woke up just not knowing if the day was going to be the day and I had an episode at work where we were doing a we were doing a big delivery a furniture delivery and it was like probably I don't know $25,000 worth of furniture big delivery you know a town home mm -hmm. in the town I used to live in Naperville mm -hmm. and it was the winter and I had drank heavy the night before um that's the one thing I will say, though. I never let my alcoholism get in the way of my responsibilities as a working person. I always showed up. I was always on time. I was always early to work. I never let that get in, my, in the way. Mm -hmm. But I had an episode where we did this delivery in, like, record time. We were sprinting. We were just... It was cold. It was the yeah. middle of winter. It was oh, icy. Okay. So we were battling elements. Yeah, and we yeah. just wanted to stay warm right. and just get in, get out, get in, yeah. get everything in, peel our layers off, do our inside yeah. job. And you know be okay so we get everything in and I'm upstairs in the upper level and I'm not feeling good I'm starting to build I'm starting to build this uh, this bed for the customer because yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a full installation job we did mm -hmm. and my old career and I'm building this bed and I'm starting to have these heart palpitations I'm sweating I can't calm down and I'm, I have the bed frame built and I laid down in the middle of the bed frame in the fetal position and I'm like, this is it. And I remember saying to myself, this is exactly, I'm going to die right now in the next five minutes. I'm going to die in the next five minutes. And I just laid there. I, I don't know how long I laid there for, I just closed my eyes. And then I, I opened my eyes and I wasn't dead. And I was like, all right, okay. Dodge that bullet, right? right. So, that was early on in the day. Mm -hmm. Throughout the course of the, the remainder of the day, I'm sitting there and I'm just having this conversation. I'm like, get me through the day, please. You know, I just need to make it through the day. I promise I'll, I'll stop. I'll just, I'm having this inner dialogue with, you know, with God or whomever. I'm just talking. I'm just talking. I'm having this inner dialogue and it's getting deep and deep and deep and deep and deep. And all this like anxiety and fear starts to go away towards the end of the day. Right? But what does the addict do? Because you the addict, because you knew what was coming, some relief. The addict, some relief is coming. The addict at three o'clock, when he clocks out and he yeah. goes home, right, drives his ass back to the liquor store and right. starts all over again. Mm -hmm. Even so, after that episode, after that episode, the voice started to get louder yeah. and louder and louder, mm -hmm. to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. Like it was deafening, deafening to me. Like I couldn't go to bed with a clear conscience. I couldn't wake up with a clear conscience. It was just killing me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided, all right, enough's enough. Enough's enough. I can't, I can't live with this fear. This fear is crippling me. Mm -hmm. I can go on about life and fake like everything's okay, but inside I am dying. Like literally and figuratively, mm -hmm. I am dying. Right. Um, 
That's a lot of abuse to your body. Yeah, yeah. A lot. And then I just remember August 17th, 2015 was the day I quit and I never looked back. And I remember, I remember that Saturday, the 16th, I did my daily routine and I went to the store with Darcy and I loaded up. I loaded up. I didn't tell her my intentions or nothing. I got a ton of beer and I drank it all. I drank it all from morning to night. I drank all of it. It probably had to be like 20 or so beers. And I don't mean like Michelob Ultra. When I drank, I drank the good stuff. I drank the high, high alcohol content and I didn't drink to taste. My addiction was to be smashed. And the sooner I drank and the harder I could get hit with a buzz, the better and the happier I was. And that's who I was as, as an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And I drank throughout the course of an entire day. And I remember telling Darcy somewhere towards the, the end of the night that she needs to take me into the following day. I said, I'm done. And she didn't want to believe me because she had heard it before. Yeah, I had yeah. said it right. more times than right. she cared to really take serious yeah, well, at this point. What, yeah. She's what like, I'll believe it when I it. see it. And right. I told her and I looked her dead in the eye and I'm like, right there. I am 100% serious here. Mm-hmm. Um, here, I'll move over. And You're good. That's all I need. We, uh, nope, we're good. Here, let me, let me spin. We went to, uh, I went to a, uh, a care treatment facility and I got an assessment to start a, an alcohol addiction program and it was like a battery of questions and tests and and I remember even the therapist or the the doctor at the time asking me all these questions you know do you have an abusive nature all those questions that they ask addicts or people that are seeking recovery um, and she asked me to hold out my hands she's she's like hold out your hands so I held out my hands and they were still as could be they were not I wasn't like I wasn't shaking I wasn't oh twitching or nothing she's like boom they're pro- my hands are probably more steady than they are at this current moment really? in good health. Um, and she's like, huh. She's like, how much did you have to drink last night? And I told her like 17 or 20 beers. She's like, what? And I'm like, yeah. That's not, I'm not lying to you. She's like, she's like, how do you feel? I'm like, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not, I'm not great, but right. I'm here. Right. You know, I'm coherent. Right. I understand everything you're asking yeah. me and you've asked me. And Sure. I'm here because I have a problem. And she's like, oh, all right. And, uh, you know, the questions kept, con- you know, continuing to come. I answered them all to the best of my ability. And at the end of it, I declined to be admitted to the treatment facility. Mm-hmm. And my reasoning for that was I didn't want to sit in a room and realize my problem was as big as it was. Mm-hmm. I already knew I had a problem. That's why I went there. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit in a room and have someone give me medication to help me kick a habit or kick an addiction. I just wanted to go on about my life mm-hmm. and forget or try to forget and work my way through this. And I refused treatment. And I had to sign off on it. And she told me, she's like, all right. And she did. She threw out a disclaimer, which I didn't know at the time. I knew it was true for narcotics, but I didn't know that some narcotics 
and some and alcohol were like two things mm-hmm. that could kill you if you quit cold. Oh. Like I didn't know alcohol I could do that for you. I didn't know alcohol would do it. I didn't know Drugs. because the withdrawal yeah. is insane. Sure. And I didn't realize that. And I was like, you know what? I'm willing to take that risk. I do not want to sit in a hospital room. I don't. Mm-hmm. I will I I will have a harder time doing that than I will if I just go about my life. And that was on a Sunday. Monday the 18th was a normal day off uh, from work because I had worked Tuesday through Saturday. So I got through the day there. I think Darcy stayed home with me. She stayed home from work that day to make sure I was okay. Right? We got through the day. Mm-hmm. As rough as it was. Um, and then I went to work and those next four days, Joe, were unbelievably filled with unbelievable anxiety like I can't even I can't even relate in words how much anxiety I had and that Mm -hmm. was the effects of quitting cold Mm -hmm. I didn't understand what it was going to feel like so I dealt with it it was fine when I was doing a job or I was doing a delivery Mm -hmm. it got worse when I had to sit in the truck and drive from point A to point B because I had windshield time and I could think about it and my anxiety anxiety would build but once I started working it was fine the roughest part was when I got off of work I have all this time what do I do and I have an hour by myself before Darcy got home what do I do and my normal routine was I walk the dog and I drink beer. Right. I couldn't do that. Right. I wasn't going to do that. I could have easily done that. But I knew my problem was... Sub- if, if I'm willing to let you take me somewhere, I'm acknowledging that my problem is more than I can handle. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just going to throw it away after a day. Right. And this is all internal dialogue that I'm having with myself. Like I, didn't, I still didn't open up to people. Right. You know, I talked to Darcy a little bit about it here and there, but again, I preferred to suffer in silence. Sure. You know, and I did actually do a little bit of counseling. I went to a counselor for maybe a month. Mm-hmm. I saw him a couple times a week, like twice a week, I think. Mm-hmm. And he was really like, he was a good guy, yeah. but he tried to push like the AA on me, mm-hmm. and it, it got it got annoying. Like, he peeled back some layers and made me realize some things. And Darcy and I always talked about my subject matter and mm-hmm. what, we were, what, you know, what we were addressing um, during those sessions. But he got real AA heavy, and I wasn't having it. I was like, look, dude, I'm going to be outright with you. I don't want to sit in a circle and listen to other people's problems. Right. I, don't, I don't want to. It's great that it works for other people. That's not how I work. I don't, I don't work like this. I said, you and me, we work fine. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. But me sitting in a room with other people doesn't work for me. Right. And, you know, he would let it slide. But every mm-hmm. session thereafter, he would try to push it. And i like, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. And I never went back. Mm-hmm. And that only lasted a month. And that yeah. was, you know, it helped. I'm not going to say it didn't help. But it wasn't the way. I wanted, I wanted to do this on my terms. I dug the hole so far for myself, I wanted to get myself out of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to rely on anybody else. So you didn't have any missteps in that month while you were being counseled? Nope. I haven't taken a sip of alcohol since, since the day 18th. I quit. Was it August 18th? August 17th, 2015. Oh, okay. Not a Amazing. single sip. Mm-hmm. Not to say I haven't thought about it. Yeah. Not to say I haven't gotten close to it. Yeah. Not to say that I haven't thought about it recently. But I just have come so far 
I can't undo I can't undo everything I don't want to start at zero again and thankfully for me I had a co-worker that was sober as well mm-hmm. he just celebrated 21 or 22 years of sobriety yeah. so I leaned on him a lot sure. and he knew I was going through it I confided in him and he checked in uh-huh. with me daily and we were in each other's face daily yeah. and he kept me accountable if I didn't have that I might have fallen off but I had that, and I'm thankful for that. Mm-hmm. So thanks, Phil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and now you're, well, I guess you'd be almost uh, five years in. in yeah, it'll be, it'll be five, five years this, this August. Yeah. But again, my message to all those listening, if you're struggling, just swallow your pride and get some help. There's people out there for it. There's people that care. There's people that love you. There's people that want you to get better. Whatever you're dealing with, it doesn't have to be this way. I know it may it it may not feel like it at the current moment and trust me, I get it. But there's someone out there that wants to care for you and is willing to listen to what you have to say. Family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, someone in your community cares for you, whether you know it or not. So just don't be afraid. Don't have too much you know, don't beat yourself up about it. Don't have too much, you know, self-pride that you're unwilling to reach out. I wish I had reached out to somebody and got help a lot sooner. Um, but I didn't. But you can. Um, so just ask yourself those questions. You know, peel back those layers and just realize that life is worth living. And it is. Don't, don't think it's not. Just reach out to somebody because there's somebody that cares. Well done. Well done, Tim. Thanks. That, that got me. Well, well done. <laughs> no, that did got a great me. job. Thanks, dude. And what I'm going to turn people on to is I'll copy it, but uh, the post you made, I'll let people hear this right now. The post that you made uh, when you're recovering from wrist surgery, Oh yeah. Uh, it was a really great, impactful post about being so afraid and crying because you needed that, that painkiller and you were so afraid. Oh man, that so was a whole afraid. nother. We'll post that for, oops, we'll post that. Uh, I'll copy it if it's okay by you. Yeah. And we'll, when we do the podcast announcement, I'll post that because that's a, that's a pretty serious piece you wrote and very effective. And yeah. I think people people should really, uh, when they listen to the podcast, also read that. Because yeah. it, it, it fills in perfectly. It matches up with what you just said. I had never been so afraid of anything since getting sober. And that was like mm-hmm. super hard for me to do. I didn't, I didn't want to. But mm-hmm. I couldn't deal with the pain I was in. Mm-hmm. This pain of this injury has been, it was really severe in the first 30 hours and I didn't anticipate it to be like that. Mm-hmm. And I had to give in and it sucked. And I'm still not proud of it, but with, with, with being open about my past addiction to my doctor, he understood where I was coming from, mm-hmm. but said that I'm going to need it um, and he only gave me a, a little amount given my addictive tendencies mm-hmm. and 
it was just a it, it was hard to have my wife crack the bottle and give me that first pill and yeah like I said in my post I cried because I was scared it wasn't it wasn't crying because I was you know in pain I was crying because I was afraid I was afraid that all that shit would come back all those tendencies would come back and I worked way too hard and put way too many of my loved ones through the ringer that I didn't want that Mm-hmm. To, I didn't want that to get reignited and lo and behold my wife assured me that she would I don't even know where they are she has them I don't mm-hmm. know where they are in the house mm-hmm. and I when I'm in pain I tell her and she gives me one mm-hmm. you know and I, I don't abuse it mm-hmm. but I know when I need it but that taking that first step and having to to reignite all those bad memories and those dark times mm-hmm overwhelmed me like I never thought I would ever experience mm-hmm. again and it was so hard to do but I had to do it because medicine mm-hmm. when taken responsibly mm-hmm. does your body good right when it's when it's in its prescribed dosage right and it's taken as it's meant to be taken mm-hmm. it helps for a reason right but I just didn't want the ugly dragon to rear his head again because mm-hmm. I just didn't want to go down that path. And honestly, sure. I wasn't so sure that I was strong enough now to fight it off, mm-hmm. given it's only been almost five years. Mm-hmm. It takes people decades to fight things off and to be comfortable. And to be able to be in the position that I'm in, in the short amount of time that I've been sober, I just... I was afraid that it was going to rear its ugly head. Mm-hmm. And I was afraid. That's legitimate. It's completely legitimate to think that uh, think that, that may happen. I was never but, once like, yeah, give me it! Right, right. I was petrified. And I sat on right. the edge of my bed right over there and cried. Mm-hmm. Because I was just scared. And now, how are you feeling? I'm getting better. You. Yeah, the, the pain is, you know, I have I have a home program. I'm in therapy twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a little bit of, you know, home exercise program that I, I'm doing mm-hmm. uh, to tolerance. And it's working out. It's just a, it's a slow process. Like I didn't have, and that's one of the reasons I never got, I never got my, my what is essentially my right wrist, which is the most problematic wrist that I have yeah. or uh, until now. Mm-hmm. I never got it fixed because I wasn't mentally prepared mm-hmm. to just sit down and deal with it. Like willingly right. say, okay, I'm going in to get this fixed. And that's mm-hmm. why I never did it sure. because I physically wasn't, I was still capable and able to do what I love to do. Mm-hmm. So I never just wanted to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to put that on pause and go ahead and get this surgery with this current injury that I have. I didn't have a choice. Like I was loving life and having a great day. And the next minute I'm on the ground sliding across gravel and with a broken arm I didn't have a choice to mentally prepare for this and that was like I told you a conversation I had with myself on the bike ride to meet my wife to take me to the hospital like okay you're faced with this how do you, how are you going to deal with this you're, you didn't have time to mentally prepare for this you're not prepared for this but you have to be prepared for this mm-hmm. and I've had a lot of internal dialogue and conversation with myself to be okay with it Granted, the pandemic that we're facing mm-hmm. is making things easier because we're not racing. Yeah. If we were racing and I was dealing with this, oh, man. I'd be a mess. Wow. I would be a mess 
emotionally right and i'd be beating myself up in in my head Mm -hmm. you know as i'm sure that everyone that is physically able and in good form and Mm -hmm. in good shape is killing them that they can't race Mm -hmm. professional and amateur alike sure all my buddies um but for me it's it's like it's kind of just like meh right i'm not missing anything yeah you know, so it's easier for me to deal with. Right. But if life was going on as it was before this, and I was dealing with this, I'd be sure. bummed out. And I may have been more remiss to reopen that door more aggressively. But I'm not. That's it. Want to wrap it up? Sure. You need some decompression time, don't you? It's 4:14. Yeah, I have to leave in 45 minutes. Yeah, you need some decompression time. <laughs> I do? Yeah. Well, it is worth every minute. I hope so. And uh, it'll go down as, as the uh, it, the longest, uh, most earned on your part podcast. Yeah. I know there's a lot of effort put into it, and I'm appreciative of it, and I can't thank you uh, enough. And, it has... and I know, I knew this, the stars didn't align when they, you know, were... We tried in the past. Yeah. It sucks that we have to do it during a pandemic, and hopefully we did our best to be as safe as we could. That's it. Um, yeah. No. Uh, yeah, everyone. That's my story. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening. Um, I've enjoyed all of your podcasts. Uh, I'm a fan of the podcast, Joe, so thank you for finally bringing this to life. And it's just nice to hear outside of the BMX that we all share, the BMX that is in our blood, that everyone else has a life outside of the bike. And it's nice to hear those stories and hear those struggles and hear about other people's lives outside of the bike. So to all those in the past that have opened up to Joe and, you know, Given, given your time to him, thank you. And to all of you in the future that give your time to this this podcast, thank you. Thanks, Timmy. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Well done. And uh, we'll see you soon. Yeah.